All it took was one Ramondre Stevenson carry to remind us what this Oklahoma offense had been missing for the first five games of the 2020 season. Ramondre attempted to power into the end zone from two yards out, but a Tech linebacker was there in the hole. He was lower than Ramondre. He had better leverage, stopping Ramondre in his tracks. A second later, number 29 was trotting around the end zone, celebrating his second touchdown of the night. That wasn't a touchdown the first five games of 2020. That was a rush for no gain. Second down and goal. OU sent out three different running backs so far this year, TJ Pledger, Seth McGowan, and Marcus Major, before Ramondre Stevenson. All three of those previous backs have shown over and over again that one tackler is capable of bringing them to the ground. Sure, on rare occasions, like Pledger's tough touchdown run in the first quarter against TCU, we've seen a spark of elusiveness. But too many times we've seen those three backs miss holes, get caught from behind, or straight up tackled by one guy in a situation where they were unable to make a miss. That's not happening with Ramondre Stevenson, as he displayed multiple times Saturday night in his return to action. We've been telling you here on the show since the K-State game that Ramondre Stevenson is the biggest difference maker for the Sooners out of what used to be the suspended three. Now, apparently, it's just the suspended one. Sure, Oklahoma's offensive line didn't start the season as strongly as we or they would have liked. They've admitted that much when it pertains to the Missouri State game and the K-State game. But beginning with Iowa State, Oklahoma's offensive line has gotten mostly positive reviews. Just ask Lincoln Riley. Yet even with that group improving and playing better and better, OU's running game had failed to reach a measly four yards per carry average in the first five games. That's downright terrible. Especially failing to reach that mark against a really bad TCU run defense, one of the worst in college football, coming into that game a couple of weeks ago. Into Ramondre Stevenson, Halloween night in Lubbock. And the Sooners didn't just average four yards per carry, they averaged five and a half yards per carry. In a game where they racked up 213 yards, the highest rushing total of the year for Oklahoma. It's the second time OU's gone over 200 rushing yards in a game, but if you take away overtime from that Texas win, the Sooners failed to reach the 200 mark. And in that game, OU still only averaged 3.8 yards per pop. Yuck. Stevenson had 13 for 89 and three scores. The only shame is that he didn't go over 100, but he didn't need to. His addition to Oklahoma's offense unlocks everything. For the first time all season, the Sooners are back to being a true threat running the football, which will in turn make Spencer Rattler even better than he already is. He's been playing elite level college football up to this point without much of a running game. I told you last week in the opening take that Oklahoma was setting itself up to run the table if the way the Sooners played against TCU was their baseline level of performance with the assumption that as the year goes on and more talented players come back, this team will get even better. For the first time in a while, we saw Oklahoma crush a Big 12 team. Yeah, it was Texas Tech. Let's not get totally carried away. But the Sooners at one point scored 42 straight points and put the game away before halftime. That's something we haven't seen against a conference foe since, I guess, Oklahoma put away West Virginia in Norman last October. The Sooners outscored the Mountaineers 24 to nothing after halftime en route to a 52 to 14 win. If this Oklahoma team continues to stay engaged, the rest of the regular season and then whatever comes after that is going to be really fun. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest.
first and goal from the six. In motion, McGowan, handoff. It goes to Stevenson. He walks into the end zone. Ramondre Stevenson. Ram, bam. Welcome back. Touchdown. All right. Fittingly, Ramondre Stevenson welcomes us into the latest edition of West of Everest. Big night for him and his return to action. Sooners beat Tech convincingly 62-28 last Saturday. Some stupid garbage time scores made the game look a little bit closer than it uh, actually was. All right, feel free to leave us a rating and or a review on iTunes. Like us on Facebook. Just go to the, uh, just go to Facebook. Search for West of Everest. You'll find us. Follow Grant on Twitter at Grant Benson twenty five. I am at Lee Benson News nine. I tweeted out some videos from the game the other night, including a third down play call in the first half that I absolutely loved, and I explained why I loved it on Twitter. So you can check that out there if you'd like. Also, I shared some some more. Uh, running plays by Ramondre Stevenson that stood out to me in the game. So if you're interested in that, go to my Twitter page and uh, check that out. Uh, I'm also going to guess that you all are interested in getting Grant's take on Saturday's Sooners win. So let's bring him in right now. Grant, what's going on? Nothing much, Lee. Enjoying a very rare 70-degree evening, November evening in the Twin Cities somehow. I'm not sure, which is really nice. nice. Congratulations. That's great. Yeah, and, you know, I guess, yeah, more on, of course, yeah, more on the game on Saturday. I, I was sort of joking with you before we got on here that while I was re-watching the game this afternoon, it occurred to me, it, it, it felt like that game on Saturday was three weeks ago. It felt like so much has happened since then, and just like the, uh, it's it was weird going back and watching it because, right. I don't know, it was, it just had a weird, the game, the game had a weird vibe to it. It had zero flow whatsoever. Yeah, it does seem like it was a long time ago. Obviously, this is the first time we've done a show, a West of Everest episode, in a general election year. So that's 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 why it seems like so long ago, because a lot, I mean, uh, election has happened and is still ongoing as we record this. And uh, you and I were interested in that stuff uh, to some extent. So I, you know, I was up pretty late just kind of following everything. So I think that that's why, for me at least, it seems like it was a long time ago. Uh, maybe that's what you're referring to as well. But also, yeah, the game took forever. It was a four plus hour game I think it never seemed to end no flow tons of replay reviews unnecessarily and uh I mean luckily the second half kind of went by somewhat quickly but the first half was ugh, was horrible and Absolutely yeah I mean, horrible a, a bunch of really odd just I I don't know if I want to say the officiating was terrible because there was only one bad call that I can really think of in my mind it was the it was OU's first offensive play of the game but um uh, just a ton of mistakes, like them uh, rewarding the fumble on Jeremiah Hall's uh, dive into the end zone. Which I mean, that was the most that, that was that was the most touchdowny touchdown I've ever seen. I don't even know how you could possibly <laughs> even think that that you know he didn't cross the plane there. There were some other things, uh, like yeah. there was one where uh, where Ronnie Perkins closed in on Columbia really quickly, and he had to throw the ball away. And they they originally ruled it as a backwards pass, and it wasn't even close. I don't even know how anyone could even, and they had to review it. <laughs> just like stuff like that. It's just kind of like, what What are you doing? I know. I know. I remember the, yeah, the the Jeremiah Hall one was by far the worst. I was watching it live, and I saw him, you know, break that tackle and then go towards the pylon. And like once I saw him cross, you know, obviously cross the ball over the plane, I kind of like turned away from the TV because I was at News 9 working and was, cramming and trying to get the shows done 
And so I, I go back you know, a moment later and, and they're re reviewing it. And I'm, I'm so confused about what they're reviewing because I saw him cross the plane. And sure enough, as they show the replays back, it's obvious he crossed the plane. Uh, and then I think the ball didn't even come out. I think he also he didn't even fumble. Down. The, the, yeah. the, the ground caused the fumble. Yeah. And so uh, it, was a, it was a silly thing. I mean, it clearly didn't matter, but just it was a, it was a weird game. I, I, I said if you were just like a, a regular college football fan – tuning in for Fox primetime, and I'm sure there wasn't a lot of people doing that. They were probably watching Penn State, Ohio State. But what a terrible trick game. trick-or-treating. Yeah, what a terrible game to watch if you're just a casual fan. It was, it was, it was not a good game at all. Yeah, it was, it was not a good game. The only enjoyment you could probably get from it if you're just a casual fan is every time Oklahoma had the football and every time Spencer Rattler dropped back to pass because... He is so good. He is we'll icy, man. Him. He is like yeah, in, we'll, in a good we'll way. Talk about him, obviously. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, like last week, I want to begin the show with the three-word reviews. See that way, all you listeners who left reviews on Twitter and Facebook, you all can get a little bit of recognition right off the bat, and your reviews will lead us to discuss parts of the game that perhaps we would otherwise not talk about uh, during the podcast. So let's let's get going with. Some three-word reviews from Facebook, beginning with Ned on Facebook. And he's got, looks like, about five three-word reviews. And we'll begin with Ramondre's Smooth Running. And that's a great place to start because I talked about Ramondre a lot in the opening take. Uh, we had him in the intro. His first touchdown of the year on, on the first carry of the season goes for a touchdown, Grant. Uh, here's your chance. Uh, I, I will go ahead and, and let you... Do whatever you have to do to – I don't know if you're going to – if spike the football is correct because it's not like it's not like everybody out there has been saying that Ramondre is not good. But I think – and correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, we listen to a few OU podcasts. We, you know, I, I know a lot of guys on the beat. I get the feeling that here on this podcast, we have been more than others. And correct me if I'm wrong or in case you've seen anything else, more than others really – banging the drum that Ramondre Stevenson and especially you is really darn good and he needs to get back in this Oklahoma offense because he is so much better than the current running backs and he's going to instantly make the running game better and voila that's what we saw on Saturday yeah I mean excuse me I'm just going to spike the football here real quick uh, but I mean no not really I, I just I hope I hope seeing it visually especially especially in a game where Ramondre did not get the most touches out of any of the running backs. I hope that seeing them all on the same field together, and when you compare TJ Pleasure and Seth McGowan and Ramondre Stevenson all together, you can actually visually see it. You can just see how and Marcus how, Major did I? Oh, Marcus Major. I, I already forgot about Marcus Major. Sorry about that. Yeah. Um, I I hope that once you saw the visual of it, just how much better he is than those three guys. And there is it, it's a very large gap, an extremely large gap. That's what I saw last season. I thought Ramondre was was clearly the best running back on the team last season as well. Um, and it's I mean, just yeah, I, I, I don't think it's crazy to say anymore after what everyone saw just on Saturday night, Oklahoma would absolutely be six and0 right now if Ramondre Stevenson had not been uh, had not been suspended. He is outside of Spencer Rattler. He is the best offensive player that Oklahoma has, period. Yeah, and, and you said that going into the game, and I think you were proven to be correct on that assessment. I think you're 100% correct that Oklahoma would be 6-0 and if uh, Ramondre had played 
all throughout the season and had, and had obviously been healthy and gotten his normal workload throughout the year. I, I, so there's no doubt in my mind, zero doubt in my mind. He is a, like, I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to step around it anymore. He is a starting NFL running back and you don't, you so, don't just replace that with, and, and, you know, uh, and, and we can get into the other three guys that we've seen later, but it's just the, the gap between those guys is just is so apparent and so obvious. So this is a really interesting moment for me as somebody who has followed along with football for 20 plus years. And I realize that a lot of people listen to this podcast are older than us and have paid attention to football longer than us. And so I, I get that, but that's just what I'm dealing with here. And, and I've always been a guy and you know, maybe this has come across on this podcast. Maybe it has, I don't know. I know that you know this grant, I've always been a guy that you got in a good offensive line, good offensive scheme. You just plug and play running backs. You're going to be fine. You, running back is one of the more easy positions to just plug in. And if you have a good offense, you have a good offensive line. They should be able to have some success. And for the first time, really, in my life, I have changed that because it's so apparent to me how much of a difference maker Ramondre Stevenson is when it comes to uh, this Oklahoma football team. And I don't know if that's more Ramondre being so good, which he is, or if it's just more of a slight, unfortunately, to the rest of the running back room at Oklahoma, which I tend to kind of lean towards the latter because that's uh, the camp just, I'm in the, for sure. I, the, I don't the, the rest the the rest of Oklahoma. I mean, it's really, it's it's even more clear now that Kennedy Brooks being gone is is so bad. I mean, if if he was around, I think if Kennedy Brooks was available. Like, you know, instead of Ramondre Stevenson for the first five games, I think there's a pretty good argument that maybe Oklahoma is undefeated still as well. I think Kennedy Brooks is is much, much better than the current running backs uh, or the, the running backs that had to play the first five games. But it's just so I, I've, I've kind of repositioned myself a little bit when it comes to running backs. OK, maybe super uber talented guys really do make a difference. And I, I get that in the NFL. I mean, there are some eye popping difference makers you do see out there. I mean, like Alvin Kamara is one of them. Ezekiel Elliott's one of them. I know this year's been a weird one. He's not been as good. Yeah, I know I wanna, I'm going to be missing other think, other guys as well, but yeah, go ahead. I think we really should just kind of stop beating around the bush on it. TJ Pleasure and Marcus Major aren't good enough to start at Oklahoma long-term. They're just not. Um, and, and I like... I felt, I, I felt this kind of the entire first half of the season. Just I mean, just even seeing who OU has played this year. I mean, more than half the time, I would have preferred to have the other guys running backs than what OU had going in. You know, yeah. Brees Hall, clearly a better player than TJ Pleasure. Uh, Deuce Vaughn, clearly a better player than TJ Pleasure. Um, that, that, that's not to say that TJ Pleasure doesn't do some nice things. He does. Uh, he, he does. It's just when the ball is in his hand, he's not a particularly explosive guy. He just isn't. No, and I think Sharodrick Thompson at Texas Tech is probably better than TJ Pledger too. One, and, yeah, and, and yeah, I would, so, I, I would have take, uh, taken him is, over. Yeah, and that's not yeah, to, that's is. that's not to dig on Pledger too much. He's had some like he played really well against Texas. Had a good game. Had a really good game. I don't like I. I'm not going to say OU averaging whatever 3.8 yards per carry going into this game was all on TJ Pledger. That's that's not true at all. There's some sacks mixed in there. There's uh, some well, some and Seth McGowan and Marcus Major have gotten a lot of carries too. Yeah, there's a lot of TFLs <laughs> I mean, on TJ Seth Pleasure McGowan and Marcus the, the Major. One, yeah, I mean TJ Pleasure was the one bright spot in the running game from the Texas game. Yeah, he's as just far as yeah. yards per carry. Yeah, TJ Pleasure just isn't is not a guy that the other team has to account for. He's not a guy that scares you. Ramondre Stevenson is a guy that you have to game plan around. 
and, and, and you know what? It's yeah, it's it's fine. Here's the, here's the thing though. I mean, T.J. Pledger he had been behind these really good backs his entire career at Oklahoma, and this year in 2020 he got a chance to play a lot and get a lot of snaps and. And he will always have that and know that he got his chance. And I think he's playing about as good as he possibly can play. I mean, this is this is probably as good as you can get from TJ Pleasure. And I, I, as a college player that, you know, so, so many college players, I bet, don't get that full chance to actually go out there and play. I mean, how many guys are depth for their entire careers? And maybe they'll have the one game where a starter is out and they get to play. And, and you know, maybe they don't they don't do as well as they, they would like to. Well, TJ Pleasure has had before this game and even even against Texas Tech because he got a lot of carries against Texas Tech. I mean, he's had six games this year to get essentially starting running back carries. So he will always know in his mind that he got his opportunity and he has he's, he hasn't been bad by any means. He's been fine. But the the standard of Oklahoma and what they had in the you know, in the cupboard with with uh, Stevenson and then what we wish they would have had with Kennedy Brooks. He's just not at that level. He just isn't. And that's OK. That's okay. It's just uh, um, it's good to have Ramondre back, and, and, it, and it really ups Oklahoma's offense now. And, and in case you probably have more to say, but I, I do want to transition a little bit to something that I mentioned in the opening take. With Ramondre back into the fold now, Grant, and what we saw on Saturday, how much now does that kind of unlock Oklahoma's offense to get it back towards more of what we're used to seeing from the 2017 model, the 2018 model, not necessarily the 2019 model, with a lot of you know hardcore smash mouth running, it does a lot. It does a lot. I mean, you put a like we had already been saying the last three weeks that the offensive line is starting to come together. The holes are there. They're they're you know, and of course there's some glitches every now and then. But you add a guy like Ramondre, and I mean, you say it was his second touchdown run. For me, it was his it was his first carry of the game. Just that seven yard touchdown run where you just saw how effortlessly he moves. And how how easily he just sort of he just had that little jump cut and then he just glided into the end zone. Like I, I don't I, I texted you after that and I'm not sure that any of the other guys on the roster score on that play. And uh, it's Ramondre See, Stevenson made thought. it look absurdly easy. See, and that that's was my just, first thought as well. But when I rewatched, I kind of thought, eh, I don't want to shortchange the other guys too much. It, I think they they probably would have scored as well. But okay, yeah, I mean. I, Sure, definitely not on the second one, obviously. No, and that's why I used it in the you know in my opening tape because. But yeah, I mean, just seen I mean that multiple just, times this year, those guys get stopped. Go, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, it's okay. I mean, just the just the way that it's it's so effort the way that he uh, he hits holes, the way he makes cuts, the way he it, it it seems like he sets up like two or three blocks ahead of him. He just understands. He just has a better mm. feel for it. And he's a huge dude who's very light on his feet, and he's fast. And that is just not that you don't see that a lot. And um, like I, I know, uh, uh, you know, about a year and a half ago during fall practice, Trey Sermon says something in the lines of, you know, how uh, you know how how Mondre was, was the guy who was really sticking out in the running back room, and they're joking around that he looks like Jamal Charles. And like I, I remember at the time saying, well, I. I love this guy's tape and that sounds great. And like, I think this guy's going to be a beast, but you know, let's pump the brakes there. And like, yes. Yeah. Ramondre is, is uh, he's that good. He is that good. Like this is, there, there are not many running backs in college football better than this guy. There just aren't. Yeah. I'm, I'm tending to, to decide with you on that as well. And as long as you're doing NFL comps, I believe it was Gonzo Strangelove who, 
is always uh, jumping in and, and giving us three word reviews and commenting on Twitter every once in a while. And he had a comp to Ramondre, and he said that he thought Ramondre reminded him of early or early to mid '90s Emmett Smith with the way he runs, kind of low to the ground. Um, I, I'd have to pull the tweet up again to get all the the, the details, but uh, yeah, I mean. That sounds like somebody who probably watched a lot of Dallas Cowboys football back in the day. And, and I, obviously, I mean, Emmitt Smith's a Hall of Famer, one of the best ever. So I, I remember what Emmitt Smith looks like or you know, ran like, but I don't have it like committed to memory as like, oh, I, I know 100 percent. So I, I'll yeah, take his actually, word for that. You know, somebody that probably watched a lot more Emmitt Smith than I did. I, honestly, yeah, I think I think that the Jamal Charles comp is apt. They, they run very similarly. Ramondre is bigger. But they, I mean, they have a very similar running style. They they move uh, a lot alike. I thought they they both glide the way that they jump cut. It looks a lot alike. You mentioned the word glide. There is at least one, maybe two carries where he. It's almost like when he gets the ball, he like kind of like shuffled through the hole like for seven yards before then turning up the field. Where it's like that's. Like he, he has different ways of picking up yards. He's not always just downhill with his shoulder square. He can kind of move his shoulders around and squeeze through holes there. And he did it a couple of times. And it just shows you his his vision, his feel for it. I mean, he just he's a he's a natural runner. And it's just it's it's something that unfortunately uh, TJ Pledger just does not have that kind of knack for at, at the level to the degree that Ramondre does, and and certainly Seth McGowan does not, and and certainly. Uh, Marcus Major does not. You know, yeah, will McGowan get it as it, as he gets more and more carries? Maybe. I mean, he, at the end of the game, he started running downhill pretty well, and his numbers actually ended up being pretty good. McGowan's at the end of that game. Uh, we didn't see Marcus Major. He he didn't get a he didn't get a touch. I don't believe. So I don't. He might be. He I, may I be think, done. He might be. Buried. Yeah. Everyone needs to. Everyone needs to be comfortable with the fact Marcus Major is not good enough to play at OU. That that is that is very clear. I I know a lot of people have been kind of asking like where is he where is he he's not good enough, period. Yeah, that's uh that's probably and so right, and yeah absolutely. and I think the uh yeah and I I I'm still I'm still comfortable saying that the jury is still out at, on McGowan I I don't I, I think he's being he's being thrust into a situation this year that he wasn't ready for I, I don't think he was ever part of the plans to play this season at all. Um, he's definitely a guy who needs a who needs a year in the strength and conditioning program. I've seen enough things from him to be like, oh, I mean, that's that's kind of interesting. But there's also just been way too many bad plays from him. Like, for instance, I mean, he's he had 15 touches on Saturday night, and um, you know they they, they kept they, they kept trying to do like kind of two back formations and splitting them out, sending them in motion and stuff like that. And um, I was kind of texting back and forth with you. It's like, I mean, that's that that's not difficult to defend. He's just not at that level yet. Um, and if they're going to run stuff like that, it needs to be Mikey Henderson getting that stuff, not not him. So that's an like, interesting conversation. Let's save that for a little bit later, the Mikey Henderson conversation, because uh, he had four touches and he was kind of like, oh, well, this guy could be pretty good. Mikey Henderson right currently with what they have is the second most talented runner that they have on the roster right now. <laughs> well, uh, they clearly like him more with the ball in his hands, I think. I think, I think, which is kind of crazy to say, considering this guy had a touchdown, he looked good. Then maybe even Jeremiah Hall. Definitely, he looks Hall like he just moves down. He, he broke he broke that tackle. That was a very nice play by Hall in the touchdown. But yeah, don't get me I mean, wrong. How many you times know, I, they ran that little little speed out to Henderson this year? Yeah, they it, run it a lot. Run. They've run it a lot. He's just mm-hmm. and Henderson is a guy right now that is just physically he's physically ready 
to play major Division One college football. I don't think McGowan really is yet. Um, he, he, he has some of the physical abilities that he's shown off that, that I really do like. Uh, but right now, like, Mikey Henderson's like 240, and he's, he's, like, he's a bowling ball. And so, like, I, I mean, I don't know. I, 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 this is complaining a lot for a game that they won 62 to 28. Um, but, of course, you know, what is, what is this podcast for but not to complain? I think that covers the running game for the most part. Let's move on to Ned's second three-word review. And this is a, a perfect transition to another guy who made his debut. And simple for Ned, he says, Perkins, a beast. And all right, Grant, so I didn't talk about Ronnie Perkins at all in my opening take. We haven't talked about Perkins at all since this podcast has started. Perkins entered the game, I think, something like sixth or seventh play of Tech's first drive. They ended up going for a touchdown, unfortunately. Uh, but from then on out, Oklahoma's defense played a lot better. Uh, Perkins played, he played sparingly. He didn't play as much as you'd think. I was at some point, I was trying to count up snaps. I got to about midway through the second quarter, Grant. And I mean, Alex Grinch subs guys out in and out so much. I, it, it's, it's so difficult to keep track of who plays how many snaps or whatever. So I was like, you know what? I'm not getting paid for this. Sorry, guys. I, I'm, this is going to take me seven hours to do this rewatch if I keep trying to count how many snaps each guy has. Uh, but he, he, he wasn't out there as much as you thought he would be. I mean, they were kind of you know, feeling, you know, probably getting him in, kind of very similar to Ramondre. Like Ramondre wasn't out there until you know, later in the first quarter and whatnot. But uh, anyways, from what we saw from Ronnie Perkins, he looked so ready to play. He looked fast. He was chasing down ball carriers. The, his first play, he chased down a guy. Granted, it was a long play, but he was the one who, who pushed him out of bounds. Later in the game, he, he ran down and made a tackle 12 yards downfield, I remember. Not to mention he had, I think, two and a half tackles for loss. I think he should have had a sack, but Columbia got rid of it at one point. He was great, and it's going to be fun moving forward to watch whenever he is on the field along with Perrion Winfrey, Isaiah Thomas, and then it would be like Marcus Stripling and then Nick Benito would be kind of the fourth guy subbing in and out. So uh, it's it's just Alex Grinch has a lot to work with right now, Grant, up front. Am I uh, – one of the very first things that I noticed about Ronnie Perkins and um, – I mean, just add add him to the pile of guys who look like they took a step physically. He looked different physically. He just did. Um, like, And that, that kind of reminds me of – Guys like Nick Benito, who looks totally different physically this year, and also uh, David Igwebu as well. And so, I mean, clearly he's been getting after it. So, yeah, you know, I, I don't have a ton of thoughts on Perkins. I thought, you know, I thought he looked really good. I, I thought he looked, uh, I, I thought, you know, I thought he looked better than he really ever has during his career. And of course, that was in pretty limited action. But yeah, I mean, it's it's hard not to be excited about. Jeez, I mean, that that third down package of... And I, I don't know how often these guys are on the field at the same time, only a handful of times, but yeah, when it's Perkins, Winfrey, Thomas, and Benito rushing the passer on third down, that's not fair. Other, you know, offensive... The offensive lines in the Big 12 remaining that OES to deal with, they can't deal with that. They will not be able to deal with that. That's like... That right there, that's a front four and a pass rush that you probably feel pretty comfortable comfortable with in a playoff situation, like really comfortable with going up against the big guys. That's how quickly this thing has kind of gone from zero to 100. And, and I, I, it's most of my confidence for OU going forth in this season is because of that defensive line. There, there's just 
teams in the Big 12 just can't block them. They're going to have to do so much, so many different things. They're going to have to play left-handed to get around those guys. Every once in a while, they'll over-pursue and they'll open up big, uh, you know, potential running plays, which happened against Tech. But you know, that it was the first drive of the game, and then kind of, you know, later in the game after Oklahoma had get, got such a giant lead, so it didn't really matter that much. But yeah, it ultimately the running defense has been great this season. I, I did make a note in my rewatch that the very first play of the year when Ronnie Perkins and Perrion Winfrey were on the field at the same time, Perrion split two blockers and got a TFL. So not sure if that was all just Perrion or if that had a little bit to do with Ronnie Perkins, the fact that he was on the field too, I don't know. But just hopefully that's a sign of things to come with those guys on the field together. Um, that's, I'm trying yeah, to look at my note. I mean, it's yeah. just crazy to think about it. Nick, Nick Benito has is has been very effective this season on on the edge. Um, I think I think Keegan Raynaud, uh, uh I, I I think he tweeted out on Saturday or Sunday that Nick Benito leads the country in in pressure percentage. He I mean, he he has the most quarterback pressures per per pass rush in the country. That doesn't surprise me. Um, he's been great. He's been really good. Isaiah Thomas has been. I, I think has probably been the best defensive lineman on the team so far this season, or at least the most consistent and most productive. And of course, everyone knows what's been going on with Perry and Winfrey. He's been double teamed most of the time he's out there. I, and you can't double team all those guys. And so, like, I mean, it's that's a really salty pass rush right there. You don't got to blitz when those guys are out there. They're going to get home eventually. And like, I, I'm, I'm trying to think of what adjustments offenses can make. I mean, you can you can go heavy. You can... You can block with, you know, have eight guys and only send, or block with nine guys and only send two guys out on routes. But like, I don't, how do you block that stuff? I, I don't, it, the, the offensive lines in the Big 12 are bad. They're not good. OU's is by far the best, like, you know, a, by a lot. So I, I'm just, it's really, it's really hard for me to see how any offense is really going to be able to like dig in and put, and put together really consistent drives when, when OU is sending 10 or 11 guys out there who are always fresh that can't be blocked. I mean, it's, this is fun. This is, this is where things are starting to put, are, are being put together and just kind of like the far reaches of my mind and um, where, where I was excited thinking to yourself, okay, if OU can put together some really nice recruiting classes, on, especially on the defensive line, what would that look like? And it's starting to come to fruition right now. Guys in the Big and, 12 cannot block that stuff consistently. That's just a fact. And that's the first step in dominating the Big 12. But then once Oklahoma gets to the point when they get another opportunity to win a national championship, hopefully that's next season, then the question is, can they do it against the big boys? And that's uh, way down the line. No need to get into it right now. No, yeah, don't, don't need to worry about but, that uh, now. Um, but yeah, it's like you, you can start to see the light come on. You can start to see what, like, what they're talking about. There's... It, it feels like it's just, it's, it happened in one off season. The influx of talent on that defense is undeniable. It just, it just is. And a bizarre off season to boot when they didn't have a spring practice period for the most part. And they didn't have really much of a summer. Might, so, might as well yeah. already give yeah. a raise to Jamar Kane. Like, I mean, say, I, yeah. what a, what a freaking hire that was. Kane like, and, and Thibodeau. I mean, that, Thibodeau only is focusing on, I believe, the interior guys right now. Thibodeau, yeah, so, Thibodeau deserved credit because the defensive line was really good last season too. Yeah. Um, 
And I was I was a little hyperbolic at times last year, calling last year's D line one of the best in the country. And I, I think it was one of the best in the country. I mean, one of the best ten or fifteen in the country. This year, I mean, it's it's better this year. I, I'm 100 percent sure about that. Um, it's just yeah, it's, it's all about the depth, man. The yeah. depth. I mean, it's crazy. crazy. I I guess yeah. I I did not. I never in my wildest dreams did I think that that Perry and Winfrey would be better than Neville Gallimore, and he is. He he is. Let's before I get to the next three word review. I, this is kind of like a, talking about the def- defensive line, and I think that can transition a little bit into the front seven in general. Just wanted to acknowledge that Oklahoma's defense played really well, and there was a moment when they got a fourth down stop, fourth and one near midfield, got off the field. So I mean, that's essentially a turnover, and it's just something that we don't see. We have not seen this team do a, ho- a whole lot lately. I mean, I mean think back to 2018 whenever we joked about how every time teams got into fourth or third and short it was an automatic first down and granted against Texas with Sam Ellinger there was some automatic conversions on you know on fourth and short and third and short but it's just worth pointing out that Oklahoma's defense on fourth and one against Texas Tech on the road got a stop on fourth down Uh, it was and everybody was involved I mean uh, Perkins was involved getting uh, to the running back to slow him up a little bit Perrion Winfrey and, and Isaiah Thomas clogged up the A and B gaps to prevent the running back from going inside. So we had to cut it outside a little bit, which bought the rest of the defense a little bit of time. The, the one downside, if you're going to pick apart anything, is, is uh, Trey Norwood. He came up very nicely from his strong safety spot. By the way, Trey Norwood starting in, uh, for Delarian Turner Yell, who was out because of COVID protocols. Norwood read it well, but he's only able to get a little bit of a piece of the guy. It would have been nice to see Norwood just clean up the tackle right there on that play, but you got a piece of him, and then it was Thomas who gets a bit of a foot, and then finally the linebackers, Osamo and, and Ogbuebu, uh clean it up for no gain, and, and Oklahoma gets off the field. So I just wanted to acknowledge that that happened and bring that up in case you had anything to say about that particular stop, Grant. No, I mean, it's a good play. Uh, defensive line blew it up, like you said, and the running back had to, had to cut it outside, and Asamoah scraped and was there to meet him, and then Aguebu came to clean up as well. It was just, it was just a good, it's just a good play. Everyone doing their job, and it was yes, yeah. And and you're starting to see that way more consistently on the front seven. I thought, I thought I was a little disappointed by the chunk plays that Texas Tech got in the run game at times. Um, but when you do go back and watch it, a lot of that had to do with tempo and also Texas Tech just kind of running or OU running their stunts and their stimming kind of just in the wrong direction from where Texas Tech was running the ball. So uh, you, you kind of you take the good with the bad. I'm certainly not upset that, you know, they gave up some of those chunk running plays and they still won by 34. Pretty happy about that. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. And assist to Ned because his next three-word review is a, a great extension of this conversation about the defense. He says, some meaningful turnovers – and so Oklahoma forces three turnovers. They had three against Texas. I mean, that's great. That's two, uh, two games this season where they forced three turnovers. I don't know if that happened at all last year. I don't think they had two games where they got at least three turn. I mean, maybe I'm uh, in, I think uh, the, I think the only game where they had three last year was uh, at UCLA. Hmm. I know that uh, in, in, during Lincoln Riley's tenure. Uh, he he very rarely has ever. I think he's only had a team that's forced three three or more turnovers like ten or eleven times, and this is what Riley's fourth year. So, 
Uh, yeah, anyway, so the turnovers came. Obviously, a couple of them, it seemed like, actually, all of them were, were almost gift-wrapped. I mean, the fumble was kind of lucky. Uh, the first one was a guy dropped it, Trey Norwood in the right spot. Uh, the second one looked to be that way as well, although on the rewatch, I, I do think Oklahoma does deserve a little bit more credit for forcing that second interception because Ronnie Perkins, it was either Perkins or Benito, was right in Columbia's face, and he may have thrown the ball a, a little bit quicker than he would have liked, and it he threw it really hard. I mean, it came out really fast, and the receiver had barely even turned around by the time the ball got there. The guy had no chance to catch that, so... I think Oklahoma deserves a little bit more credit for that takeaway. Uh, but, it, you know what, it, they, they forced them. They got them. They took advantage of them. And I believe Oklahoma scored every single time they got a takeaway. I think they turned it into points every single time. I know at least the first two times they did. I can't remember about the fumble, though. But, I mean, Man, there, there you go. There, there's margin. There's separation right there. Love it. Man, I'm kind of kind of circling the calendar for, you know, November 21st when they play Oklahoma State. They're going to be playing just a, a walking turnover in Spencer Sanders. And I, Oklahoma State will not be able to block Oklahoma's defensive line. That's going to be a fun game. Already looking like, at they, what, I mean, three weeks, yeah, two weeks. I, yeah, yeah. Texas, Texas's defensive line got, I mean, mostly got or consistently got the best of Oklahoma State that entire game and that that was the difference in the game for the most part um it's it's going to be much tougher sledding against what OU is going to throw at them and it's uh like like I said it's just there if if the defensive line plays at that level and they continue to get better there really is no one in this conference that can touch them at all yeah I'd agree with that let's keep moving along with Ned's three-word reviews this one's kind of interesting worrisome drop balls a lot of drops in that game. Uh, there was two from Marvin Mims, and you know maybe maybe there wasn't a lot, but there was some very noticeable drops in big time uh, moments. Uh, Mims had two. He had the one on the the great ball by Rattler that would have been a touchdown, but he dropped it. That was weird. Uh, he dropped one later in the game too, and then uh, Theo Weiss dropped a touchdown pass on a great throw by Rattler, where Rattler threw him open. It's it's a small thing, but. You'd like your really talented skill position players that have an awesome quarterback putting the ball in the money on a clear night. You want those guys catching those passes. <laughs> so hopefully that's not a sign of things to come. And it was just some random randomness in a game that they didn't need them to catch those balls to win. But uh, against better competition and bigger moments, you, you hope that it doesn't come back. I think there's, ra- I think there's some randomness there. Um, just because we've seen them make a lot of really nice catches. I mean... Not really. I'm not that concerned about Marvin Mims at all. I mean, he's been he's been OU's best receiver up you know up to this point this season. He's he's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, Weiss, that one that one's disappointing. But I mean, it, can we just talk about Rattler real quick and just and I know a, a lot of yeah. people have have, have kind of talked about this, but he was so good on Saturday night, uh, by far his best game so far this season. Um, I, I went back and I was making mental notes, Lee. And the only, if you take away drops and uh, um, uh, penalties and stuff like that, and and uh, one or maybe a couple of throwaways, the only incompletion that he threw was the one to Drake Stoops in the corner of the end zone that that Drake just could not really drag his feet because Drake's five eight, um, which 
he he caught it. He just and it was keep his feet inbound. And that was great. An, that was an NFL attempt. throw. That was an NFL throw. Um, Spencer Rattler was dropping freaking dimes on Saturday night. It, it was and and he made it look easy too. Oh man! Yeah, the ones I, uh, the ones that really point out are. Um, the first big one was when he, he dropped it in the bucket to Mims on the deep over with another quarters beater. And I remember on that play, this was early on whenever Oklahoma was up, I think, 14 to 7. And uh, I remember thinking on that play, because he had Stevenson. Stevenson was in the game, and he had him in the flat. And I was thinking, ah, throw the ball to Ramondre. Let him catch the ball and run with it. We want to see him run with the ball in his hands in open space. And then uh, when I saw, once I saw him, you know, unleash it to Mims, who was wide open, I thought, okay, yeah, he made the right call there. <laughs> that was the right play. Uh, just easy in, in, the, in between uh, the cushion there. That one, and then one rolling to his right when he dropped into Theo Weiss on the sideline, on the far sideline in the second quarter, I think, was a, was a gorgeous ball. And I think that Dean mentioned that when he was talking to Lincoln Riley on the, on the coach's show, that Riley mentioned that the wind was a little little weird at times against Tech and that the wind made that throw even more impressive because I guess it sounded like maybe he was going against the wind or had to throw it into the wind, something like that. So that was a beautiful throw. The touchdown pass to Austin Stogner <laughs> was uh, gorgeous. Just perfect example of throwing Stogner open. I, I love that, man. Whenever you have a receiver out there and as a quarterback, you know that, oh, if I just put the ball on this side of him, He'll adjust to it, and there's no way the defense can make this play. <laughs> and he put it in the perfect spot, and Stogner made the play. And then he did the exact same thing, but a shorter throw to Theo Weiss when Theo dropped it. And just simple. It, it looks simple, but apparently it's more difficult than it really is because you don't see his, that many college quarterbacks make those plays and put the ball exactly where they want to like Spencer does. It's fun yeah. to watch. And, Rattler's, yeah, and, Rattler's yeah. that guy, man. He's He is... He is every bit as good as everyone said that he was. He has completely lived up to the hype. Like I, I, he is, he is so far and away the best quarterback in the Big Twelve. I, it's not even remotely close. Um, oh, oh my gosh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean he's, he's he's next he, to he's one of the I mean, fi- next he, to Trevor Lawrence. Next he's one of the Justin five best Fields. quarterbacks in the country. Yeah, There's I mean, no doubt about it. Yeah, I mean, he is absolutely. He is he's extremely good. And outside of the pocket. When he is outside of the pocket, rolling to his right, other teams should be absolutely terrified because he's. He, I mean, he he's going to find the open guy. I'm I'm trying to compare him to like, uh, it's like it, it's okay. It's like I, this is going to be super hyperbolic. I'm not making this exact comparison now, but it's almost like with with Aaron Rodgers in the NFL when he like when he escapes the pocket and he's extending the play with his legs, the opposing defense and the opposing fan base just holds their breath because they're terrified, and and it's. It's going to be like that with Spencer Rattler. He's he's unbelievable outside the pocket and throwing on the run. It's really impressive. And just small things where uh, the play, I think it was in the first quarter, where and it, it was totally his fault on the snap. He just dropped the snap. Like, it, it wasn't that bad of a snap. He just didn't bring it in. But, you know, he didn't panic. He just kind of picked the ball up, dusted it off, rolled out to his right, kind of pointed one way for Stogner, and then just unleashed a ball to Stogner for – like a 35 yard gain or whatever it was like it's just I mean it was a like he he threw that ball like 50 yards in the air and I don't know if you recall but like on the TV the ball never left the screen you could see the ball in flight the entire time it was a freaking hose to Stogner and he threw it like he, he threw it across the field it was hash mark to hash mark 
I mean, that it was. Oh, I mean, it's. I'm really sorry for the rest of the Big 12. It's like they. You had like a three game window this season, and that was it. That that was it. <laughs> three. Well, I mean, they, Kansas State and uh, Iowa State took advantage of it to some extent. Uh, you know, and maybe I'm overstating this because maybe I'm in my own kind of moment and I, I want to uh, kind of pump us up a little bit. But I, I'd like to just acknowledge that there hasn't been one time in this 2020 season that you and I have ever been like, ah, you know, I'm, I'm not sure about Spencer Rattler. Uh, I just, I, right? I mean, I just, I, and there was people I know that were very like, oh, this guy's just turnover prone. He's a walking turnover and at the end of games. And like, man, this guy's going to just keep turning it over. You know, Kansas State, Texas. And it's like, okay, I, I get that you're, you're taking away some really bad turnovers. Don't get me wrong. But you're not seeing the bigger picture here. You're, you're, you're conveniently leaving out all of the, the things that this guy does on a play-to-play basis that show and display that he is just an incredibly talented quarterback. And he is, he is so good. Not to mention, and I briefly brought this up in the opening take, and we kind of touched on it, you know, whatever, when we were talking about the running game. He had been playing early on this season without really much of a running game and with a defense that was kind of figuring it out and giving up embarrassing big plays to Kansas State. So, I mean, yeah, we all knew he was going to go through some growing pains and make mistakes. Uh, imagine if the defense was playing as well as it is now early on in the, in, in the season, and imagine if Ramondre Stevenson had been around. He probably wouldn't have made a couple of those mistakes, and Oklahoma probably – but at the same time, as I keep kind of uh, ranting a little bit, it probably was for the best that that stuff happened because he probably has grown quite a bit in six games. I mean, getting benched at Texas woke him up a little bit. Uh, we both, I think, agree that if Oklahoma's undefeated in that game, he probably doesn't get benched. Lincoln Rally just stays with him because uh, he's Spencer Rattler and he's really good. But I think, you know, we, I, I think we agreed that at one and two, Riley was like, you know what? I got nothing to lose here. I'll, I'll try to send a message to this guy, sit him down. We've already lost two games. Let him get his mind right. And then I'm always going to bring him back in the second half. And he did, and he played much better. And ever since that Texas game, TCU, I thought he was great against TCU. And, yeah, he was great against Texas Tech. It's fun he's to been, watch. He's been the best player on the team since game one. You know, I, I mm. got, he's, he's really oh, yeah. good. He's, he's really Absolutely. freaking good. Um, and, you know, I just I, – I, and I, I'm not sure about this yet. We'll, we'll see kind of later down the line. I still think he may be without his two best pass catchers too. Um, and that's kind of a scary thought. So we're thinking that Hazelwood will be back at some point. We don't know when. Jaden Hazelwood. I think he's going to be and, back uh, within Trajan the next two Bridges, games. You know, I might as well bring it up right now. Trajan Bridges. You know, what's the deal with him? Lincoln Riley's latest update. Let me get to it here. Riley said that uh, his process is not quite as clear cut or as easy as maybe it could or should be. He's still in that process right now, so we'll see how that unfolds. So thanks a lot, Coach Riley. That means absolutely nothing. So for whatever reason, uh, the the six game thing mu- went for Ronnie and uh, Ramondre, but uh, we're on now seven missed games for Trajan Bridges, and that uh, that's a whole another thing. It would seem. I don't know if we're going to see him this year. I mean, wh- I mean, what? Uh, whatever. I, I don't know. That's just me speculating. I have no information whatsoever. I'm just saying, legitimately, I don't know if we're going to see him this year. <laughs> 
I really don't know. Yeah, I'm there too. Uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I don't know. Like, I mean, it's it's anyone's guess. So I, I thought, I thought it was all set for Ronnie Perkins to come back for Texas or even Iowa State, and that didn't happen. And then all of a sudden, hey, Ronnie's playing on you know on Saturday night. So, um, who knows when, whenever, whenever that suspension could lift? I, I'm not. I don't want to speculate anymore. I, if if you had to put a gun to my head, I would say, yeah, we'll probably see him just because we've seen the other guys now. Um, but I, I'm not sure when that's going to be. Uh, although I do kind of like I, I, I sort of expect to see Hazelwood within the next two games. I, I um, that's not any That'd inside cool. knowledge. I just like I, I remember people talking at the beginning of the season that he was doing really well in, in rehab, and and Riley has even said in press conferences that they expect him to to maybe be available at some time this year. And I kind of run out of games. So I, I think, yeah, I mean, to me, it makes sense that for Bedlam, it wouldn't surprise me at all if we see Jaden Hazelwood fully ready to go. I know that this got a lot of play after the game and figure we bring it up on the podcast. Spencer Rattler talking about the Texas Tech win. And he said, quote, it's time for us to go out and embarrass somebody. We've been having these games where we're getting up and getting comfortable. And tonight we didn't get comfortable. We kept running it up. Uh, great. Love it. Uh, yes, go embarrass everybody, Spencer. You should always have that mentality. And, uh, you know, it, yeah, he said it publicly. So what? So what? I, I, don't, I don't care. He's being honest. He's confident. He's cocky. And he's playing awesome. And the team is playing really well. And, and you, you, you think Spencer thinks that Oklahoma's getting pretty good? And you think he thinks the Big 12 is uh, certainly up for grabs at this point in a way? <laughs> like, Yeah. And I got a theory about the Big 12, by the way, we can talk about later, that uh, I, I ran by you off the air. We can talk about it later, but I just wanted to bring that up. Any, do you have any thoughts on that quote? No, I mean, I, I, to be honest with you, he, I don't think he should have said it. Do I care? No. I, I don't know. Just be a little more self-aware. I, I would guess like a, an, an older Spencer Rattler would probably keep that one internal. But yes, I, I, I'm very glad that they went into that game with the mindset of, yeah, we should probably step on these guys' throat and not let them up. Um, and and, uh, and like, I mean, they got down seven to nothing after the very first drive of the game. They didn't panic and they still blew them out. Uh, that's that's progress, and I'm I'm happy with that. And so, and I know there was a lot of people uh, after the game who were saying, "Ah, geez, man, when was you know when was the last time we were able to just kind of like sit back and enjoy a win?" And I was like, "Pump the brakes a little bit on that one, guys." They. OU last season in the first seven games outside of the Texas game was utterly dominant and killed everybody. So like, and none of them were stressful. So like kind of pump the the brakes a little bit. The last one against TCU wasn't really stressful in the fourth quarter. (laughs) So yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was gonna say the TCU game was, was pretty easy going as well. TCU game. Yeah. uh, No, I think I, but I understand what people are saying. Like, that was the first time they've gone into Lubbock and just totally blown their doors in uh, since 2003. It's the first time they've blown out Texas Tech and Lubbock since 2003. Um, happy about that, obviously. Um, but like th- this, this team has put together complete games before. That like, one of the reasons why the Kansas State loss last season was so was so shocking was because OU looked like one of the most complete teams in the country leading up to that point. So yeah, just yeah, yeah they really did. Just, yeah, pump the brakes a little bit. All right, the last thing on Rattler for now before we move on, and and normally this is something that you do. You like to present hypotheticals and discussion points, but I have one for you that I think might be 
somewhat interesting for as long as it goes here on this podcast. But let's say that uh, this current Spencer Rattler, you know, six games into his college career, six starts into his college career. Imagine this Spencer Rattler grant on OU's team for all of 2019. (laughs) How is that team against LSU? Offensively, how much more of a chance does Oklahoma have of staying in that game? Uh, okay, they they don't. Um, that that LSU team was one of the best of all time, maybe the best of all time. They they I said stay in that game. Maybe stay in. Imagine it. Oklahoma's. Oh, imagine. Well, uh, you know what? Actually, because Ramondre didn't play in that game. All right, that with Ramondre, yeah. I mean, that that would have been. Well, yeah, but, but interesting. But he didn't play in that game, though. Okay, I'm am saying like, but yeah, I mean, LSU was going to be able to score whenever they wanted in that game. Oh, of course they were. Like, yeah, of course maybe they were. Oklahoma's offense was so limited, they just they could not come back. Kind of like, I mean, they got blown out by Bama the year before, but I mean, they still like their offense was good enough to kind of come back and make the score look respectable. Uh, they had no chance of making that score look any kind of respectable. But I mean, you're. T- I mean, if I think if you're, I, I think if you have, well, maybe be- I, Kansas State. The defense was the biggest problem against Kansas State. Um, honestly, if, if Spencer Rattler is the quarterback all of last season, they're probably in almost the exact same position. Just the last four games of the season probably would have gone a lot more smoothly. They would have they yeah, just, they they would have yeah. blown out Iowa State. They would have blown out TCU. They would have blown out Baylor. Uh, they but they they didn't have a chance against LSU. No no matter yeah, what. Yeah no I'm like, yeah I'm not saying they would have won. I you know what the problem with this hypothetical I just realized is we got to stay consistent. We're talking about how important Ramondre is. I, I forgot Ramondre didn't play in that game. So in my hypothetical, Ramondre is still out. Sure, Kennedy Brooks is available, but. Um, yeah, that would have definitely limited the Oklahoma offense. Not to mention Ronnie Perkins still would have been out, but that defense had no chance anyways. Yeah, Ramondre uh, being out of that game, Ramondre being out of that game probably just destroyed the best game plan that you you could have had against LSU in that game. They they would they probably would have run with Ramondre. They probably would have run the the old the old anti Peyton Manning offense where you run the play clock down every single time. You just you, you try to get three or four yards at a time, extend drives keep the other team off the field. That's probably what they would have tried to do last year, but they needed a guy like Ramondre Stevenson to do that. And they just weren't able to do it. Yeah. All right. Well, that didn't go is uh, that we didn't go anywhere, which is fine. Uh, that it didn't, it didn't deserve to go anywhere. Uh, Ned has one more three word review, 213 rushing yards. We've already talked about the, uh, the running game, but uh, Ned pointing out that was the season high in rushing yards. Uh, Trey on Facebook, brand new season. I like that three-word review because it does kind of feel like it does kind of feel like things are new. I mean, the team just came off a giant win, their biggest win of the year as far as margin. Uh, don't count the Missouri State game because whatever. And they just got Perkins back. They got Ramondre back. We'll see about Bridges and Hazelwood and whatnot. And it just it seemed like everyone on that roster right now and the coaching staff it feels like yeah, we're pretty good and. Potentially, Trey also might be referencing the fact that Oklahoma State lost, so that opens up a little bit of the door in the Big 12. So, yeah, I mean, Oklahoma, in theory, has more to play for as far as championship goes now than than it did two, three games ago. I'm fired up. I think, yeah, this is, you know, we were talking a little bit before we started, but um, it's, it's, it's kind of freeing in a way for the national championship or the playoffs to be kind of off the table. It's, it's just, it's nice. It refocuses you and, um, and lets you kind of focus on, on other parts of college football that are great. 
And um, the last time that we had a season like this was 2016. And that one and two start that season really sucked. But the rest of the season was a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Um, and, and I'm hoping they can kind of replicate that. Obviously, there's less games here. But um, I, I think it's really important, especially for this fan base. It, it was good to get the national championship in the playoffs out of the picture just like instantly like that. Um, I, I'm For me specifically... I'm really glad that I don't have to pay attention to any of that playoff ranking garbage this year because it sucks and it's stupid and it's bad for the sport. <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm like, I, this is the least amount of, uh, the least amount of the rest of the college football landscape I've paid attention to. And I don't know how long, and it's kind of nice. Like it's nice just to squarely focus on the big 12. It's, it's, it, it puts into focus uh, that, you know, college football, what makes it great or one of the reasons that make it great are those regional differences and, you know, and being in the different conferences. And it's like, I, I'm glad and it, it's fun to, to only focus just on the Big 12 this year. Like, I, I, I like that, especially knowing what could be coming down the line. It's just, it's, it's a nice little, it's, it's refreshing. It's a nice little change up from, from where we were. And like, of course, I would like to still be in the national hunt and all of that. But I don't know, there, there's a part of me that like, it's kind of exciting that, OU right now is, I, I think OU is definitely one of the 10 best teams in the country right now. It's kind of fun that they're under the radar a little bit. And then kind of towards the end of the season, if they're really hitting their stride, it, it's, it'll be kind of fun to see people be like, oh, crap, Oklahoma, they started one and two, but they're really good now. Like, oh, man, like watch out for them. Like that's, it's different in a nice way. Yeah, I agree. And this is a good time for that theory I teased a little bit ago that I, I talked to you about off off the air and you know my thing was Oklahoma falls to one and two and like you mentioned like all, all the pressure of a national title at that point is gone and I kind of just thought at that point and you go back and listen to the podcast I mean we, we were both pretty positive about like this team has got a lot of really good players it's, it's a pretty darn good team like they're closer to three and oh four and oh than they are one and two, one and three, in our opinion. And the whole challenge, I think, at that point was for Riley just to make sure, okay, let's keep these guys engaged because as long, and this is my thought on what Riley was probably thinking, as long as these guys stay engaged and actually try for this season, I know that I'm going to get some really good players back, whether it's, I mean, I'm sure at the time he, he was thinking Ramondre, Ronnie, and Trajan. Who knows about Trajan now, but at least he's gotten two of the guys back now. And he's thinking, all right, I know that, my quarterback, Spencer Rattler, I know this guy's awesome. He's young. He's going to make mistakes, but I know he's really good and he's great. I know that my team, if they stay engaged, is going to keep getting better because it's, that's what it is. We had a weird offseason. If they actually keep trying, we know if they just keep getting more snaps and reps and these young guys get more playing time, they're going to get better. I know I'm going to get these good players back. Riley knew that if the guys, again, it's not like a broken record, they stay engaged, they're going to be really good. And now that we've seen it, we've seen the win against Texas – the win against TCU, you get the players back against Texas Tech, blowout win against Texas Tech, and now Oklahoma's 4-2. and two. The, the pressure of a national title being gone is going to make this team play so free and easy the rest of the way, and as long as they're engaged, I think they're going to roll and run to the Big 12, given that now Iowa State, Kansas State, and Oklahoma State all have a loss. Oklahoma still has to play OSU. Granted, they've already played Iowa State and Kansas State, so those teams need to lose again. But Kansas State may be reeling. Kansas State might lose again, might lose twice. I, we'll see. Point being, though, is 
the pressure of a Big 12 title for Oklahoma isn't really pressure at all. Oklahoma knows it can win the Big 12. Oklahoma's won the Big 12 a million times. But pressure of a national championship, that's real. And they play tight. And we saw some tightness against Kansas State. Saw some tightness against Iowa State. Granted, it was still early on in the year. Spencer Rattler was figuring things out. The defense wasn't great. But with that tightness gone, and this kind of goes maybe to how the fan base might be feeling too, at least some of them, and I know you and I are in the same camp, the pressure of a national title race is gone and just kind of watch this team that's improved quite a bit. And I agree with you, is one of the top 10 teams in the country. Why not? This, this team is really good. They're kind of flying under the radar. And if things break right, they can definitely win the Big 12 and probably should win the Big 12. I think, I think they're, they're going to win out, barring some sort of crazy egg-laying game that still could happen because I, don't, I probably shouldn't all of a sudden think they've turned the corner because this was the team that for Kansas State, Iowa State, and Texas – basically stayed to the same exact script three games in a row. They just happened to win the Texas game as opposed to losing it. But they played two really good games in a row since then. Let's see if they can make it three. They should against a bad Kansas team, and then we'll have Bedlam after a bye week. So I'm just like, I, I just wanted to throw that out there. I, I, it's not really a fear. I just think the point is this team is not going to play with any pressure. It's free. It's easy. They want to win. They know they can win, and I think they're going to do it. You ready for my hottest of of the hot takes? Oh yeah, Ramondre Stevenson is going to get drafted ahead of Chuba Hubbard and is going to be a better NFL player than Chuba Hubbard. Whew. 2019 Lee would have thought you were crazy. Actually, I but, don't even uh, know if that's I'm that hot of a take. I, th- I think I'm that's like almost readjust. that's almost a cinch to happen. I think. I was telling, I was saying Chuba should have came out. I, I could not believe Chuba Hubbard came back to school, man. He I, absolutely should have should have come out. Like the them thinking that it was going to be a special season, and like I, I get it, you know, your your college guys and your thing, but no, they weren't very good last year. Like they just they, I don't know. I'm. I mean, if if he really wants to win a national title, and they thought so, and like he and Tylen were down, Tylen Wallace, because Tylen Wallace so gone to the NFL. That dude's so but, good, but they didn't. I mean, I think what it shows, though, is they probably really love Spencer Sanders. And they're like, yeah, let's, let's see what, after a year of starting for this guy, he was hurt, you know. Like, we, we trust this guy. We want to see what we can do. And, and I get that. I respect that. But, I mean, take away all of the college stuff just personally, like for his career, and how running backs obviously have a very small or short shelf life. I just like, yeah, okay, I, I thought he might have been a first-round pick last year. He, he would definitely not have been a first-round pick. I was wrong about that. But I think, I think Chuba could have been a second-rounder, a, a high second-rounder, if not uh, maybe, at worst, a high third-rounder. That's not too bad. And now, I, I mean, I don't know where he's going to go now. I mean, Travis – but the thing is, random sidebar, Travis Etienne coming back was insane. Etienne was the best running back, and he should have gone to the pros, but he didn't. He wanted to come back and win a title with Trevor Lawrence again. And uh, they'd certainly have a chance to. That, that's kind of a random thing as well. So, like, uh, two of the better running backs didn't declare last year, which I thought was weird. But, uh, anyways, yeah. I, Travis Etienne I, is so much better than Chuba Hubbard. It's actually just – it's it's it, it's it's kind of funny, actually. Yeah, and, he's really good. Yeah, and, like, I, I yeah, not to, not, not to turn this into the Chuba Hubbard bashing hour. I just – I've always thought the guy was was massively overrated, mostly mostly overrated by the the Oklahoma and Big Twelve media, but which is totally understandable. I mean, he just he just got fed the rock constantly last season, and he I mean he put up numbers and 
I still think he's really good. I think Oklahoma's off, uh, Oklahoma State's offense has been in influx this entire year with Sanders being out. The offensive line's not very good. Now they have injuries. Put Chuba Hubbard on Oklahoma for the last five games. Yeah, I'd take like, him. How, yeah, like I mean, I I think I, I think I think he, we're gonna we probably be thinking something different. I think Chuba Hubbard would be having a Chuba a Hubbard fantastic is a year. Chuba Hubbard's a really good college player, and I think that's it. Maybe, maybe. Um, all right, still on three word reviews from Facebook. Barry says that was fun, succinct, efficient, and Philip finally last one on Facebook says Ramondre Ronnie difference in all caps. Uh, yeah, I mean, Ramondre is certainly a big difference. Uh, Ronnie Perkins, a difference maker as well, obviously. It's just with the defensive line, as we've said a million times this year, playing so well, uh, it's, it's not as big of a difference as somebody like Ramondre coming in and, and really boosting a running game that absolutely needed it. So over to Twitter. Caleb, a, uh, a loyal listener to the show. So Caleb wants to I, – I, I've seen him on Twitter take some stances on – the suspended players and so Caleb's three-word review is shouldn't have smoked obviously referencing the uh the marijuana alleged marijuana charges and you know I mean Caleb you're you're correct they broke the rules allegedly from what we know and now it sounds look or it seems like they uh, at least two of them have been cleared to play still don't know about Trajan Bridges but uh certainly yeah I mean they there's rules and they got caught so Caleb's got a point there uh yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think um, it's worth mentioning that it's, you can't just, like, smoke marijuana in Oklahoma whenever you want. You have, to, you have to have a medical card. You can't just go into a store and buy it. It's not like... Isn't, isn't, the law, like, isn't the law super similar to California's law that they had forever where it's like you literally just have to go into a doctor and say, I have a headache disorder and they'll give it to you? Or I have anxiety, Probably. they'll give it to you? I'm not an expert on it, but I, I know it's not as simple as, hey, I feel like going and buying some weed right now. Let's go to one of these dispensaries. Uh, you have to have some sort of card or something. Yeah, I mean, granted, I, this is one of those things that I just don't know much about because I'm just not, it's not my world, not my scene. But uh, uh, yeah, I mean, here's the thing. I mean, Alabama didn't have, a, as far as I know, a bunch of guys suspended that were difference makers for this. Clemson didn't. Ohio State hasn't had it. But Oklahoma did. So uh, they had some guys, some difference makers get caught. And not, I'm sure it happens a lot in college football. These are college kids. There's, it's 2020 and 2019. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think Caleb's got a point. Like, you break the rules, even though they could be archaic and they may be changed soon. Who knows? They currently are the rules, and here we are. Not sure if there's anything on this, but that's, all, uh, that's Caleb's three-word review. Mark's three-word review is 62 points. Nice to put 60 up on the board for the first time in a while. They've scored a lot of points this year. Um, now that I'm thinking about it, like they, uh, yeah, they, they got to be, they got to be averaging close to 50 a game, I would guess. I mean, it's definitely over 40 a game. Yeah, they have. Try to think back. Where are they? Uh, Iowa State, would they get like 30 something? That might have been the low. I think it was 31. Yeah, 30. yeah 31 is the least amount of points they've scored this year. Scored 35 and 31 versus K-State and Iowa State, right? uh, 30 against Iowa State. They had 48 against Missouri State. uh, 53 against Texas. uh, 33 against TCU. 62 against Tech. So it's probably – it's in the 40s. They're probably averaging in the 40s somewhere. Eh, high 30s maybe. Scoring is is not a huge problem for this team. No. What a shocker. 
They should pad those stats on uh, on Saturday. Oh, you know, here's a good one from Dylan on Twitter. And, you know, I didn't even really catch this. Dylan's three-word review is only two penalties. Is that right? I didn't catch that either. penalized twice? Yeah, and now that I'm thinking about it, I don't even, I don't recall any now that I think about it. Like, or any big ones, at least. Texas Texture had a lot of really bad ones. Let's see. I'm on the box score. No, two, you're exactly, Dylan, great three-word review. Two penalties in the entire game. Texas Tech had 11. 11 penalties. So how about that? A disciplined football team, no dumb PIs and holdings. And it was, like, and we didn't even notice it because I guess, yeah, no, they, the penalties didn't happen. So great call by, by Dylan noticing that. Well done. Uh, Skips is pretty to the point. He says, keep doing that. <laughs> Uh, OKC Energy FC fan, better than OSU. Yeah, if Oklahoma and Oklahoma State played on a neutral field right now, I OU would probably be favored by how thirteen and a half. Oh, it wouldn't be that high. I, was uh, thinking, I guess. Well, I, I mean, we'll we'll see what I happens. Decide if it'd be a touchdown or it'd be a touchdown or more. If Oklahoma State struggles with Kansas State this weekend. Which it wouldn't surprise me at all if they do. Yeah, but right now, I mean, Oklahoma State, all the weird metrics. I mean, they should have won that game. They just shot themselves in the foot. They yeah, you're right. 13 and a half is, is a little crazy. Weird special team stuff. I mean, I maybe like, I was thinking more like seven or seven and a half OU. Yeah. But uh, I suppose, yeah, the analytics, analytics still like Oklahoma State more than OU right now. Um, I, that, that, that's, I mean, that has a lot to do with Oklahoma State's defense, which... You know, I mean, is is not is is playing pretty well. Oklahoma State has a pretty good has a pretty decent defense. The only problem is OU is starting to kind of round into form. And one of the reasons why I never really give Oklahoma State a ton of credit for having a quote unquote good defense is because they're not going to be able to stop Ramondre Stevenson. They're just not going to be able to, no matter how good they uh, and, are and, or how I mean, experienced and, they are. Well, if they load up to stop Ramondre, though, that would uh, potentially open up. Some uh, some throwing lanes for one Spencer Rattler. So that's the you know that's the hope. Obviously, you know I I mean Oklahoma who, State's gonna yeah they they would have much rather faced Oklahoma early in the year. <laughs> obviously. Sorry, were you gonna say something? Uh, no, I I, I got oh. nothing. I, I don't know. I'm gonna I, I'm gonna lay off OSU. I'm already like I'm already thinking to myself. Ah, I'm, I'm I'm putting way too much stuff on tape right now that I could totally regret in a couple weeks. Yeah, you're still living down Deuce Vaughn. You're gonna be living him down for like four years. Ooh, I fe- it feels feels a lot better though. What if what if Kansas State just totally implodes from now on and Deuce Vaughn does nothing? Can I yeah. can I really like go after it? You, uh, I, I think you would be essentially just back to even. I don't know if you would have you'd be able to go after it because I think you're in the hole pretty big right now. Here, okay. Here's the thing that I'm that I'm not willing to back down on yet, and and I think I even I, I sort of kind of. Went back in uh, last week, and I think I started to my my walk back of it. But Kansas State's not a good team; they're not very good at all. Like I, I they have a um, West Virginia is also not very good, and they just toyed with Kansas State. So I, I don't. I I think if, if Oklahoma State comes in, you know, this week and they don't have a hangover from losing that really disappointing game to Texas, I I think they can. They could take Kansas State to the freaking woodshed. I want to say Kansas State has given Oklahoma State trouble in Stillwater. I think in 
I think 2018, I think K-State went in there and beat them when uh, Oklahoma State had no yeah. business losing to them. You're right. So, and yeah, I mean, you're both teams coming off a loss. Chris Kleiman is going to be a big underdog on the road. Will it matter? I don't know. I mean, that's that's. I haven't seen a, a number or a line for that game at all yet. I, I would bet Oklahoma State's a pretty decent favorite. Eh. I, I, I would bet Oklahoma State's a touchdown favorite or more over K-State right now. Well, see, that's the that's so, the weird yeah. thing. So I, I've noticed a lot of uh, a lot of the lines this year have really tracked pretty well with the with the with like the analytical services like Sagarin and SP Plus. Like really, like they've been kind of right on. Um, I I, I SP Plus has Oklahoma State as as well over a two touchdown favorite over Kansas State. Um, it, it wouldn't surprise me if if that's more like maybe in the in the thirteen and a half range for OSU. I mean, they like Kansas State just I mean just lost by thirty to West Virginia. West Virginia's not very good. Hmm. I'm trying to find a, a line for it, and I'm struggling. Hold on. Yeah, that uh, that West Virginia game, like that line with West Virginia favored by a lot. I I I almost fell for it. I almost thought that K State was a, a great value play, but I'm I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad I didn't. Yeah, that was one of those um, where I I looked at it and I was like, yeah, Vegas is trying to tell you something. They're they desperately want people to to look at that and be like, oh, what are you talking about? Kansas State's ranked. On I mean, yeah, I was I was on West Virginia pretty hard on that one. That was one of my hot picks. Nice. I think it was mine too. Uh, I am I'm on Fox Bet right now. I I'm kind of using that website more because I keep seeing advertisements for it. I don't see a line for K State, Oklahoma State. They don't have a lineup for it. Are they waiting for uh, for health or something? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Is Skylar Thompson potentially coming back or something? Or I wonder if he's because I mean Oklahoma State should be fine. I don't think they have any crazy injuries, huh? That's kind of surprising. All right, well, whatever. Uh, we're still on three word reviews. P two three five seven zero says, "Give me more Henderson." Yeah, I'd like to see more of Mikey Henderson. Uh, maybe some of the – I mean, they lined him up as a running back late in that game. Maybe some of these snaps at running back that that McGowan is getting. Maybe Henderson gets more of those. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think they really want to use him as a running back right now, but – Yeah, <laughs> they, definitely, they definitely want him to be an H-back. But yeah. like I said, if he's, if he's your second most talented runner right now, I, I just he's, – he's hard to tackle. Seth McGowan's not hard to tackle. Yes, McGowan. Yeah, he he did look better as the game went on, but yeah, he still has a tendency to look. He's just he's very stiff. He runs very upright. There's uh, he he's young. Hopefully, he gets better. Uh, more from Skip. Skip says K State, I State. Uh, obviously referencing the losses. Um, let's see. Dave says totally kicked butt. Absolutely. Josh says Ramondre Stevenson bang. <laughs> uh, more from Josh. Total game domination. And lastly, from Josh, defense looks promising. And, and you know, def- we haven't talked much about the defense. Uh, a little bit we did at the start, but yeah, I mean they they were getting turnovers and keeping you know ever ever since the first touchdown. I mean they got Tech off the field and allowed and and enabled the OUD or offense to put up forty two straight points uh, to make it forty two to seven in the first half. Uh, the the big play touchdown they got to make it forty two to fourteen was annoying. But, uh, Stole that I mean, yeah, play from OU. That's the leak play. 
Yeah, they uh, yeah they never showed the all twenty two. I would have liked to see it. I have an idea of what Trey Norwood was was doing and seeing on that play. I think what happened was he he recognized it probably later than he would have liked, but he he recognized it in time to make a play, and he got caught in that weird no man's land thing as a as a defensive back where he saw the ball in the air and he wanted to to go for the ball and like make a play on the ball and maybe pick it off, but also. He didn't time it right to where it made sense to do that. So he kind of was like half trying to do that, but also half trying to make a tackle. And the fact that it was their big tight end really put <laughs> Trey at a disadvantage because he ain't tackling that guy. And he caught it with momentum. And, yeah, that's the I, the, the one downside to Norwood to me was his tackling was not great on Saturday. And it's kind of like, uh, you know, his, his tackling's never been all that great. It's been okay at times when he's played, but just you don't see him as a strong safety. I see him as more of a corner and more of a ball hawk free safety type, not necessarily a strong safety, but for whatever reason, that's where he's, he's been slotted in at this year behind Delarian Turner Yell. I think when he's there, I mean, they're definitely more short up on the back end in terms of, in terms of defending the pass for sure. But then you, you, you really do miss sort of the, kind of the thunder that DTY brings like into the box. Cause I mean, that's, that's DTY's primary value is, is as a box defender. So um, there, there were a couple plays where if, you know, that I recognize where if, if DTY would have gotten there, there, there would have been a couple of plays that Texas tech wouldn't have been able to make, but um, you know, I'm not, it's, it's fine. I, I, I think it's COVID related for DTY. Uh, we'll see Trey Norwood one more time here against Kansas. And then I, I would guess that, uh, that DeLaren Turner, yeah, will be back for Bedlam. That sounds about right. I guess I didn't see any updates on that from Riley or Grinch's presser this week. I'll be honest. I I tuned out a little bit uh, so far this week on it with Kansas coming up, but uh, maybe there has been an update. Maybe there hasn't. A couple more three-word reviews. Ben says, baby beast mode. I'm assuming that's a reference probably to Ramondre Stevenson. He's he's just as big yeah. as, Mar- as, as Marshawn Lynch. Yeah, I don't even know if he's maybe he's just talking about baby just because it's the college game and um, yeah. like this is it's it, it's it's pretty hard I, I think right now to be hyperbolic about Ramondre Stevenson. The guy is an exceptionally talented running back. I mean, it is he he really is a dude. I, there's not yeah. um, it, it's Joe Mixon I I think is the only guy this decade uh, Demarco Murray if you want to throw him in there in the the early part of the decade who even compares. The, in, in terms of talent to Ramondre Stevenson, he's that good, and Joe Mixon's way better. I'm not. I'm not making the Joe Mixon's insane. He's Joe Mixon is the is the second best OU running back I've seen in my in my lifetime. Oh, I'm gonna guess the f- the number one is what, Alan Patrick or Ronaldo. Loved Works. Alan Patrick. I loved. A- God, talk about another guy that OU would be six and zero right now if he was toting the rock back there. Alan Patrick would Alan have had Patrick none, was, none of losing to Kansas State and Iowa State. No, he would not have no, let Alan it happen. Alan Patrick, he's so underappreciated, man. I thought he was really good. Alan Patrick was. Guy was just, just didn't he have the same number as AD? So it was like no, he, he was twenty. He's number twenty three. Oh, he was okay. For some I, reason, I, I thought he was loved Alan Patrick. That guy, that guy was just like he is your quintessential just a uh, one cut one uh, one cut runner. Where it's like it, once he found the hole, it was just one cut and then boom, baby. I loved that guy. <laughs> Boom, baby. Um, man, so uh, wait, so you said he's the second best running. Oh, what about uh, you think so? Mixon's better than DeMarco, huh? Yes, more talented. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. 
That I mean, that's DeMarco, not to, like DeMarco, DeMarco was awesome. More, DeMarco was DeMarco, awesome. The, in in college, DeMarco was more finesse. In the pros, DeMarco evolved into more of a finesse plus power back in Dallas. I thought he those years there, he he did have some power too, and the ability to make people miss. Whereas like Mixon has been a he can do it all from from college. I mean, he's been fast, finesse, power, you name it. Um, yeah, Demarco I, I was. Think, uh, I think Mixon. I think Mixon got to his his peak probably a little bit quicker than Demarco did. Yeah, Demarco was a uh, was a guy who was who was a lot more explosive in, in two thousand and seven and two thousand and eight than he was his last two seasons. He just dealt with a lot of injuries. He, I mean, he carried carried the ball a lot. Um, I just yeah, I, I think people kind of forget just how how insanely good he was in 2008. Um, just it, how, how he perfectly complemented that offense and how explosive he was. Yeah, and after what we've seen the first five games of the year with a lack of running back talent, uh, it's, it's even more appreciation for him missing the, the Florida game. <laughs> Murray missing that Florida game. Hey, I'm, uh, throwing a guy I'm like telling you. In, yeah. yeah, I mean, and that was a game too where Chris Brown still was able to run for 100 yards. Can you imagine if DeMarco yeah. Murray was there? Ah, oh, yeah. man, why'd you have to bring up that game? Sorry, sorry. Uh, we have one more three-word review, and it's a reference, I think, to your thoughts for the most part and my thoughts on Ramondre Stevenson this entire year. P2-3570 with another three-word review saying, now you know. I'm assuming that's what he means. Like now, now you know that, uh, yeah, he's pretty good, and the offense is a lot better with, with Stevenson. I'm, I'm going to guess that's what he's referencing. Uh, if not, um, let us know, P2-3570. All right, so I have uh, – that's all three-word reviews. Thanks again, everyone, for, for uh, submitting those. And, I, again, I like that format. I like how we can go through it, give you guys some recognition. That works. And then we can, I like we can that a play lot. off it. So that does – I think that flows pretty well. I, let's see. I have some topics here just in case we haven't discussed them. It looks like we've hit this one, this one, uh, this one. How about uh, just to mention – we haven't mentioned Woody Washington yet. Uh, he did start at cornerback in the game, but uh, really, I mean – Starting at corner at this point, I've noticed for OU doesn't mean a whole lot because they're they're doing a bunch of combinations of Woody Washington, Trey Brown, and uh, Jaden Davis. It's those three guys. They're running them in and out, different combos. Sometimes it's Davis and Brown. Sometimes it's Davis and Washington. Sometimes it's Brown and Washington. Sometimes it's Brown and Davis. I mean, it's just it's kind of like whatever Alex Grinch wants. So uh, they're all playing a lot right now, from what I can see. Uh, speaking of Trey Brown, he had a really bad start to this game. I mean. Did not look very good at all. Texas uh, Tech watched film. Balls. Yeah. Texas Tech had a really good offensive script going into this game. They understood where OU's weaknesses were in the first games. Hitting them with with hitting them with the slants and the tempo. They Texas Tech knew exactly how to how to attack OU and they still lost by thirty four. That's a really mm-hmm. underrated good part of the game. Yeah, I mean, you you mentioned it, Grant, before the game last week, that Tech's strategy. I mean they a lot of short passes, neutralized that D-line. That's what Tech has done a lot this season. Fewest sacks allowed in the Big 12 coming in. So Columbia and, and Bowman, when he was there, they don't get sacked much because they get the ball out fast. And Oklahoma was able to get two sacks on Saturday. Could have had more. I mean, Columbia got rid of the football a couple of times when he was going down. He and, threw out of at uh, least two that I remember. Yeah. Uh, there was one where uh, Brian Mead almost had a pick. <laughs> uh, Brian Mead actually made a really nice play. He blew up the running back. Uh, when when Columbia was getting sacked and he was just getting rid of it to the running back and Meade, I don't know if this was on purpose or not, but it, I mean I'm gonna guess he's a veteran player. He probably knows the rules, but you're allowed to to do whatever you want to pass catches if they're behind the line of scrimmage. 
and Mead just blew up the running back before the ball even got there, which is a legal play. Uh, and the tip happened, but he couldn't he couldn't hang on to the ball. That would have been a nice little little boost for Brian Mead's confidence. I bet if he would have made that play, yeah, it'd have been sweet if they would have made that play. That would have been kind of like your quintessential havoc play where you can't like. You, you can't get home, you know, for the sack, but Columbia, because of the pressure, makes a really ill-advised throwaway, and OU is still yes. able to... That That's the thing I kind of wanted to talk about. Maybe this is underrated, like, because, I mean, if you just watch the game, you, you know, you'd be forgiven for thinking that Texas Tech just sort of gave OU those three turnovers. How much does the mental aspect of knowing that you have that defensive line breathing down your neck, how much of that it goes into just like speeding up the clock of, of, of Columbia. And that's why he's got to get rid of it so quickly. And that's why, it, you know, it's tipped into the air. And like, I, I'm pretty sure you can pretty much, you know, attribute that fumble to them just being terrified of the defensive line. I, that's, that's what happens. It's a great observation. It's impossible to quantify, but I think you're exactly right. It's there in some form. There was a it definitely exists. There was a wide open streaking uh, receiver that Columbia missed. Uh, I think in the second quarter um, when he beat Jaden Davis. Um, and the reason that Columbia missed him was because the defensive line was about to kill him. And like stuff like and that. that was a, yeah, that was a clever play. I mean, oh, Texas Tech quick snapped him. They did the thing where they kind of looked over to the sideline to get the play and, and they quick snapped it when Oklahoma's defense kind of uh, sat back and relaxed. And Davis, that's, that's all it took for him to get beat by a step. But uh, OU was fortunate on that play. I, I didn't watch it close enough to see that. So he did get some pressure on that play. Or he was yeah. under pressure. I didn't see that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Good. Uh, so yeah, I mean, uh, anytime yeah. that they watch film, anytime they, that I, they weren't throwing a quick pass, he was under pressure every time. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. They did watch film. They picked on Trey Brown. They picked on Oklahoma, giving a lot of cushion and they took advantage of it early on. Trey Brown, to his credit, at least one time and later in the game, he he figured it out. He started making breaks on the ball later in the game, and he, he got a PBU uh, on a on a quick little hitch route that Texas Tech was trying to take advantage of the cushion that Brown was giving, and Brown read it and made a, a PBU. And from there on out, uh, I don't remember him. I don't remember him at all. I don't remember, aside from Jaden Davis, him got, he getting beat that one time, but it didn't lead to anything. I don't remember Davis much. I don't remember Woody Washington much. And I, to, to Brendan Radley Hiles' credit, I don't remember him seeing him at all. I, I, whatever he was doing must have been great because I don't really recall him making any tackles. I don't really recall him making any mistakes on the back end. For I mean, Oklahoma's... Uh, the, the issues in the secondary, really, there was a couple of uh, things from Trey Norwood that I was kind of like, eh, I don't love that. Uh, Pat Fields, I don't recall anything bad from him. So, I mean, overall, though, I mean, the Oklahoma secondary was really good against Texas Tech. There was so a uh, there's an interception that got called back because of a Nick Benito. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Washington. Uh, yeah. And uh, the only thing that really stood out to me on that was how long Woody Washington looked when he was in the air reaching for the ball. Like his arms are just really long, hmm. and I was just like, just kind of an eye opener to me. Just like, oh man, like it's been a while since I've seen a guy kind of look like that in their secondary. It's Jordan Thomas kind of looked like that, but we don't really talk about him. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I had a note that uh, Pat Fields. I thought he had pretty good coverage on that third down play. Um, yeah, Pat I, Fields I has he, had he, has had back to back pretty nice games. He's played well. Yeah, I thought he did a nice job. He turned his head. He kind of found the ball, and the ball hit off of his head, <laughs> uh, and then and then Woody got the pick. So I, I wanted to give credit. So I'm glad you brought that up. 
Um, let's see if there's anything else in my notes. Here's the thing. Like, what? Go ahead. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, maybe it's possible that the, just you know the teams they played the last couple weeks just don't don't have the personnel to take advantage of of Pat Fields, kind of like in the secondary. Oklahoma State definitely does, but like I'm starting yeah. to think like Oklahoma State's not gonna have enough time to throw to throw bombs. Like they're they're not gonna be able to. Like I mean that's what that's what the defensive line does for you. We'll see. I mean, I, I mean, Oklahoma didn't get to face Sanders last year. Uh, granted, Oklahoma State's offense was was very limited uh, without Sanders. I know that he is he is more apt to turn the ball over, but he is also more apt to create a big play for Oklahoma State's offense. I mean, he, he makes them more dynamic. But uh, yeah, he needs to he needs to really cut down on on some weird mental mistakes and weird turnovers because man, it's just Texas's defense, man. I mean, against Oklahoma, they force all these turnovers. Against against uh, Oklahoma State, they force all these turnovers. It's just they can that defense. No matter what, like over the years, whoever is coordinating them, they figure out ways to get takeaways. It's insane. How is this team not winning more games? That was a uh, that was a that was a really good college football game. That was that was a great college football game. I, yeah. I had a lot of fun. Um, yeah, you gotta. Tip, tip, my tip of a cap to uh, Joseph Asai, who was an absolute monster in that game. And um, I, I've I've kind of been in the past saying like I don't really see what guys are talking about when they say this guy is really good. I saw it in that game. He was he was very good. Cool, man. So I oh, here's just kind of a funny thing that I took note of as I was watching. <laughs> If I was watching the game, uh, it was like kind of late in the second quarter. It was never Oklahoma was, by the way, Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley was so fired up at the end of the first half when Gabe Burkich made that field goal to go up 48 to 14. I mean, he was like, and you know, we've, you know, you've criticized him a lot. I, I have, I've been a little bit more forgiving with him on his game management and things like that, but you cannot uh, uh, accuse Riley of sitting on a lead in this game, Grant. He wanted to run it up. And you could tell, like, he used his timeouts on the previous possession to get the football back, even though Oklahoma was up 45-14. to 14. And obviously, they wanted to punch it in, but he was able to go down. He had Burkich kick that 35-yarder. Uh, it's just, it was, it was, and then he was, I don't know if you remember it, but, like, Burkich made that kick, and they cut around, cut away to Riley, and he was so fired up. Like, yes, we are putting this team away. We are going into halftime with a lead, and, you know, we're going to, we're going to keep it going after halftime. So hopefully he continues to coach that way uh, the rest of the season, obviously, and he, he doesn't sit on leads or whatever, and they keep running it up. Uh, I'll, I'll pause in case you want to comment on that, but I, I have a kind of a funny thing that I saw in the game, if not. Yeah, no, it's great. It's great. Like I, Blowing teams out is good. That It should, okay. it should be their goal consistently. Um, and, yeah, maybe it's uh, – I've I've kind of I, I have you know sort of paid attention to uh, kind of the press conferences a little bit this week. You know I, I've read the transcripts and I've I've heard some sound bites and what and and, and whatnot. And, and Riley sure was talking a lot about just like really hammering home the the narrative of just of just getting better, not you know not necessarily uh, worrying about the result of the game, but just doing what we can to just get better consistently. And I like I really like that message. That's that's the Nick Saban message. That's the Alabama message of. The, the score of the game doesn't matter. It's all about individual plays and executing and just getting better. That's what we that's what we want to focus on, not the end result of the game. And this is what happens. That's how you that's how you foster uh, you know, uh, competitiveness play in and play out on your roster. Um and man, I I, I hope we keep seeing it. I, I really hope we keep seeing it. 
and also how much of Riley's and Spencer Rattler's mentality in that game and how excited Riley was at the end of that half and the fact that they put up 48 points in the first half also stems from the fact that for the first time this year, Riley was able to have a lot of fun calling plays because he knew that Ramondre Stevenson made his running game really good. And it probably opened up the playbook a lot and made things a lot more clear for Spencer Rattler as well. That probably factored in a little bit, I would bet. Uh, but okay, so this is a funny thing I saw. <laughs> I just it hit me. So I think it was back from commercial or something like that. Fox shows this melt, this like these these replays of all the Oklahoma drops at that point. They show you know Mims dropping the touchdown. They show Theo Weiss dropping the touchdown. And I was thinking like, man, what if what if you just turned your television on as an Oklahoma fan or something? You're out trick or treating and you weren't following the game or I don't know, and and you just turned it on and right when you pushed the on button, you saw this these replays of these drops. Like you'd probably think like, oh no, like Oklahoma must be blowing, like blowing it right now. Look at all these mistakes. Like look at all these would be touchdowns. And then it cuts back to the game and the scoreboard says 45 to 14. <laughs> I, don't know, I just thought that was kind of funny. It's good. I mean, it's, it's nice. Like I just like, got, oh. oh, okay. So they're actually winning by a hundred. So great. Exactly. Yeah, man. I still, I'm actually, yeah. Now that you bring that up, I'm, I'm getting more bothered by that Theo Weiss drop in the end zone because that was that was at the end of the second quarter and that could have oh, put yeah, him up. I think that could have put him up forty. That would have put him up forty nine to fourteen, um, because it was forty two yeah. to fourteen at the time. Um, yeah, man, they it, ended the the second quarter with back to back field goal drives. Yeah, and it should have. Yeah, one of them should have been, been, been at least a they, touchdown. They should have straight up been up by forty two at halftime of that game. Yeah. I thought. All right, the last thing, and there's no need to belabor this point, but um, we mentioned Delarian Turner-Yell was out, COVID protocols, also out uh, reportedly. I think SI Sooners might have had this, so credit to them. If I'm wrong, I'm sorry. Uh, Charleston Rambo also missed the game, which was because reportedly of COVID protocols. And I know it's piling on, but just wanted to bring it up. Oklahoma, granted, Marvin Mims dropped two passes. I mean, Marvin Mims is essentially getting more snaps now with Rambo gone, but... Uh, not surprisingly, Oklahoma uh, did not seem to miss Charleston Ram. Ooh, how about that? Uh, how about that little hitch to Theo that he turned around and just ex- accelerated down the sideline? He got caught, but uh, yeah, him getting caught, him getting caught is uh, not great. It's a little know, problematic. He, wasn't, he did not look slow on that play, though. So I don't know. I just I picture, and maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong about this, but I just like, can you imagine like a like a Bama like five-star or like a Clemson five-star like even a Ohio State or Miami five-star type guy getting caught on that play well Theo is never Theo of that of like of that uh, of that trio he wasn't the speed guy like he was always kind of the possession uh like go up and fight for the ball guy uh, of that yeah but I was when I see five-star though I just think you're the entire package that's just kind of the way I look at it yeah I I mean I, I I agree I know what you mean but like he's not—he's obviously not Marquise Brown, but he's not—he wasn't even like C.D. Lamb. I mean, like C.D. C.D. didn't necessarily have breakaway speed, but he last year. I mean, he definitely looked a lot faster than he had in the previous two years. So you know, maybe maybe the next off season will be it for Theo. Maybe he'll take a, a huge jump in the speed department, like it seemed like C.D. might have. How many receiving uh, yards would uh would have Lamb had last year if Rattler was throwing to him? That's the most interesting hypothetical. Uh, double. <laughs> Double I mean, it wouldn't have been double, but like he probably would have had like eighteen, like eighteen hundred, nineteen hundred yards. And I know that's crazy, but like he finished with like twelve hundred. 
And he was just like he just he utterly dominated every game. That's yeah. Like Tylen Wallace yeah. kind of had that like had had close to that amount. Like his really like kind of blow up season. All right, that is all I have. Finally, 90 minutes in on that game, Grant. Uh, any other thing you want to bring up from Oklahoma's nice win over Tech? No, just I, you know, I, I hope I hope we see sort of a replay of it this this weekend. Just just more, uh, just just worse for Kansas because Kansas is really terrible. I actually uh actually tuned in a little bit to the the KU Iowa State game. I was thinking to myself, I was like, hey. Brock Purdy has legit been terrible this year. Maybe he'll just like he'll throw like three pick sixes or something. Kansas is really bad, man. Like this actually may be the worst Kansas has ever been. And um, yeah, th- yeah, this this, I, I, uh, yeah. this is a game where if they are focused, they they really should be able to take care of this thirty-seven and a half point spread. So yeah, as you see in the rundown I have here, uh, no, uh, don't make us talk about previewing this game or don't make us do a giant preview of this terrible Kansas game it's not going to happen sorry folks I uh I've watched only a little bit of Kansas this season I do know that Puka Williams is not involved anymore so their best player is gone I I did see though that uh Iowa State had to get a couple late touchdowns to cover that spread last week so if uh, if you were on Kansas I guess it was a bad beat I saw that on SVP's bad beats the thing is though Iowa State never covers as a double-digit favorite, and they did. And, like, it's, you know, I mean... Yeah. What I saw from Kansas was was not good. I mean, it's... They have a, they have a true freshman quarterback who's pretty athletic and can run around back there, and he's, he's going to have to against the, this defensive line. So, um, yeah, I, this is one of those games where I, like, I, I really, really want them to shut out Kansas. I, I think that should be the defense's goal, and I hope they're talking about it this week. Yeah, I do too. I I know that it seems like all these college teams always like nobody wants to play Kansas because they know they're going to beat them, and it's like ah, this is so boring. But it's like please go out there, yeah, like you said, shut them out, prevent them from scoring. I I know that they're a Division one team and they give scholarships too, but I'm trying to think back to and this is not apples to apples. I get it, but whenever I was in high school and every once in a while we would play, we get to the playoffs and we'd play this really bad team in the playoffs because we were a really high seed. We, and maybe because it was the playoffs but even if it was the regular season I think we would have been like I, I do remember playing some really bad teams in the regular season and as a defense we we're thinking yeah we want to shut these guys out and usually we got pretty close to we give like a give up like a touchdown like a, a late touchdown or something randomly so like and I bring this up because two years ago I mean how many points did Kansas put up on OU 40 they put up 40 on OU I think in 2018 oh yeah when yeah that was against uh, uh Whenever I can't remember if Mike Stoops was I think Ruffin McNeil was probably it was Ruffin, at that yeah. point. That or, was the that was the second to last regular season game. Yeah. I mean Puka Williams had about a, a, a thousand yards from scrimmage or all purpose in that game, and it was stupid. So hopefully that doesn't happen. I mean, he's not gonna be playing, but this don't don't and let honestly, this game they weren't they weren't great life. last year against Kansas either. And so this is this is kind of where that better every play uh, hone your craft mentality is really going to come into use this week. Uh, just they need to focus. This is a team that they. This is a team that you know is 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 cl- is a lot closer to Missouri State than they are to Iowa State. Um <laughs> and yeah, uh, hope, hopefully they're focused and they're and they're ready to take care of business. And you know maybe them maybe being at them being at home for the first time in like two months is going to give them a little bit of a jolt too. 
Yeah, that's a good point. Hopefully it does. I, I mean, granted, the crowd was always going to be small anyways because of all the COVID rules. But I mean, it's going to be sold out as much as it possibly could. Maybe that gives them something. Yeah, I mean, they gave up 20 points to Kansas last year. They won 45 to 20 in Lawrence. I was at that game. That was a very uh, that was a weird game. It was kind of a the weather was going to potentially be bad, but then it wasn't. But I do remember Ramondre had a really long, cool touchdown. And oh yeah, yeah, Ramondre ended up. Ramondre only got five carries, but he led the team in rushing with 109 yards. <laughs> Is that good in that game? Yeah. Um, all right. So yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see. I'm not gonna. We're not gonna predict like the score. That's boring. Who cares? Like we just hopefully they beat Kansas by a lot of points. Uh, here's the thing I just want to put out there. I, I don't know if this is any like how like how much do you care about like spending a lot of thought and time into gaming out Oklahoma's path to playing for a Big 12 title? Like not, not a lot. And, I mean, it's OK. It's pretty, it's pretty straight, same way. Pretty straightforward at this point in time. You need you need you need Kansas State or Iowa State to lose to lose two more times. One of those two teams. That's it. Um, OK. And you have to and they need to win out. And I mean, the the probabilities of Kansas State losing two more games are, are really high. So it's there. I mean, they OU pretty much controls their own destiny from a probability standpoint. They just need to win out and everything needs to fall into place. I, I think they're fine. And to back up your point, you just made about K state. They got Oklahoma state this Saturday in Manhattan. Then they're at Iowa state at Baylor. And then against Texas in Manhattan, I could see them losing every single one of those games. So, um, well, of course you could, because you hate Kansas State. I, I don't. You I think, think they're a terrible I, I, team. I think they are going to fall back down to earth here a little bit. West Virginia gave the blueprint: shut down Deuce Vaughn, and they pissed down their leg. That's it. Yeah, West Virginia's defense might be decent, though. It's still probably. It I think it's like number one defense in the country statistically. But uh, let's see who have they played this year. They, yeah, they played. They played Oklahoma State, but without Spencer Sanders. They played Baylor, Kansas. They lost a tech. Ugh, that's they haven't right. they played. Lost a tech. They haven't played any. Like honestly, at, at this point in time, you know, Oklahoma State, OU, and Texas are really the only like functional offenses in this conference. I think, like ones that are consistently like can get you points, and even like Oklahoma State actually just showed that for the first time really this week. Um. Yeah, yeah, West Virginia seems like is a good time for you to potentially talk about if you want to talk about what you I think you mentioned off the air to me about the Big 12. It's Big 12 is really bad. Big 12 is good. really bad. Um, it's uh, th- this is the worst the Big 12 has been. And, I mean, in my memory, like I just it's it's terrible. Um, But I mean, it's it's yeah, it's, man, it's a I weird just... season. It, it's it's a weird year. There's just um. There's not a lot of great quarterbacks. I mean, Ellinger was kind of supposed to carry the flag for the conference in terms of quarterbacks, but Rattler is has very clearly unseated him in that in that regard. Um, and everyone else has just been kind of meh. I mean, meh. I mean, everyone else has been just sort of inconsistent. Mm-hmm. And like, so, I just, I, I'm just, I think Oklahoma State has a nice defense. I'm just not buying into it really. I, I mean, if OU plays well, they're going to be able to score fifty on them. If if Clemson played well, they'd be able to score fifty on them. If Alabama would would roll out of bed and score fifty on them, like I mean, it's it's Oklahoma State is a nice, experienced defense that does really well against the West Virginias of the world. Yeah, they're they're a high risk, high reward type defense. 
they they just it seems like they do have a lot of really good sure tacklers in the secondary at linebacker. They they create a lot of havoc. Uh, it, it's it certainly be, it would be interesting if their offense wouldn't have turned it over so much against Texas because I think the defense probably played well enough to beat Texas. They did. Yeah, they did. Yeah, it's just so. But also, Uh, I mean, we saw, I mean, we saw in the first, you know, 54 minutes of, and and Red River that, you know, Texas's offense can definitely be had for sure. (laughs) Sure. Sure. All right. The final thing I have on the rundown and, I just you know, I get to the point when I'm putting these together and like, yeah, I'll just throw stuff in there in case we have time. We've gone decently long, but I know some of you out there like these long podcasts. Uh, you're in Big Ten country, Grant. The Big Ten has started. They're going into what, the third third week or fourth week? Third, uh, third week, week three. Right? Week three. Week three, yeah. Pac-12 starting up, but whatever. Um, the Big Ten, I I put <laughs> – it's it, whatever was going on with Wisconsin right now is – annoying but also predictable right I, I mean but also annoying mostly to me for these Wisconsin players specifically their quarterback Graham Mertz who uh, has to sit out for all this time but then now they have even more positives so it's almost like it doesn't matter but I mean they're canceling these games I mean Wisconsin had Nebraska canceled they're not going to play Purdue now this weekend that's canceled uh, Saturday at Michigan on November 14th, I obviously they're going to try to play that game, but I think even if they do play that game, I don't think that Graham Mertz, the quarterback, can play. I, don't, I think that's still within the 21 days, that ridiculous Big Ten rule. So it's like if you're a Wisconsin fan, you're a top 10 team, you blow up Illinois, and you see this quarterback come out and complete like every one of his passes, and you're probably thinking, this guy's pretty good. We haven't had a great quarterback at – Wisconsin since that one time for a year we had Russell Wilson this could be kind of a fun year and it's like all pointless now because you're not going to play your full schedule that's got to be really frustrating and Ohio State fans in Ohio State's got to be like super worried about other teams potentially not being able to play and then like Ohio State gets games canceled because everyone thinks that Ohio State's a team that can make the playoff uh, which they're really good. So, I mean, we all think that. But So, I don't know. I mean, the Big Ten's kind of a mess. I don't know if you have any hot takes or thoughts on the Big Ten. I, I, don't, I don't have I, any hot uh, takes. Nothing that, you know, everyone hasn't already heard from us. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I do feel bad for the players. I, in college football terms, man, I freaking hate Wisconsin. I'm a Minnesota grad, and that's, that's, that's our number one rival. And I just, I hated Wisconsin before I even went to, uh, to Minnesota. I just, I, I don't. I don't like their fan base. I don't really like the way that they play. Um, but in this in this instance, I I just I feel terrible for the dudes on their team um, because this is still another instance where in September in August the path was available and the adults in the room decided not not to do this for the players. Um, and and that's and I don't know. I mean this this is the comeuppance. This is it. And it sucks because it's it's the kids in the program that have to bear the brunt of it. Absolutely. And it's ridiculous that a team like Nebraska, who of no fault of their own, had to Nebraska have had its game. Every right to yeah. be pissed off about last week. Every right yeah. to be. They get they get a random FCS team that wants to play them, that their kids are all fine, ready to go, and the Big Ten says, No, you can't do that. That 
I gotta tell you, man. I just oh, I don't the the weird would tri- the weird tribal partisan Big Ten stuff is super weird to me. It doesn't even feel college football related at this point. There's only one thing that creates tribalism like that, and I think everyone knows what it is. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the Big Ten really dislikes Wisconsin. I mean, you see, like no, the, the Big Ten dis- dis- dislikes Nebraska. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're right. My bad. I I misspoke. Nebraska. You're right. Uh, the Big Ten really dislikes Nebraska. You see, I, I think I saw like Paul Feinbaum, which he's not even like a Big Ten guy, like saying these really stupid things about Nebraska, about how they're whining and stuff. And it's like, I no, no, like Nebraska is one of the main reasons why any of you guys in the Big Ten even gets to play this year. They were the, the first school that was really stopping their feet and they had parents and players like filing lawsuits and stuff to try to get the ball rolling. And then Ohio State, some of their guys kind of followed behind. I think Ohio State gets a lot more credit, to be honest with you, than they deserve. I think Nebraska should get the majority of the credit for the Big Ten coming back. And granted, Ohio State's a bigger brand, so them jumping in certainly helped. But if Nebraska's, if that whole thing with Nebraska and the lawsuits doesn't start, does Ohio State feel like they need to start doing things? I don't know. Maybe. But I thought I, I, I thought it was the, this. it was the lawsuit that essentially forced the Big Ten to start going on record with what they were doing. Um, it, it 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 kept it in the news. It they were able to come out and actually had to like say publicly what their vote was or whatever for canceling, which I think it ended up being. I can't remember the the number. It was nine were. to. There was a. It was eleven to three. I think the the people who voted. Right. To, yeah. The people who voted to play were uh, Nebraska, Iowa, and Ohio State. Okay. So yeah, I mean, it just I, I don't understand the the hate for Nebraska because I I really do believe if it wasn't for Nebraska, the the Big Ten may not be playing this year, <laughs> and that's my own personal opinion. I could be wrong about that, but I I get that Nebraska has not done anything in the Big Ten. They haven't really won anything. I get that, but that's not really the point of this whole thing <laughs> at all. Like I, Nebraska so, has wanted to play football this entire time, and there I'm is assuming um, all these other teams wanted to play too. There's some stuff like the the Nebraska AD coming out and complaining about Nebraska's schedule once they came out. That that's super weak tea, very weak tea. Yeah, um, and they they I deserve agree. they deserve to get criticized kind of for that. Uh, but no, I mean I, I a, a, when it kind of comes down to it, it seems like a lot of the criticism of Nebraska is they didn't know their place and they didn't keep their they they didn't keep their mouth shut in August. And like I I just. Please, yeah. someone is going to really need to explain to me why what what your win loss record in the Big Ten has anything to do with any of that. That's a great point. And so, I, like, I, I just like it's why it's, it's very it's, it's very clear what was going on there. Look at Nebraska, Iowa, and Ohio. Look at what happened last night, and then you got your answer. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I just I I don't understand why Nebraska has to apologize for wanting to play football and Scott Frost being vocal about wanting to play football. They have nothing to apologize for and they have every right to be annoyed that they weren't allowed to play a game this past week the, because the, the Big Ten said no. The Nebraska Big Ten marriage is not, it's, it, it doesn't really work. They're not, um, like, for better or worse, outside of Ohio State, uh, Nebraska just cares a whole hell of a lot more about football than the rest of the Big Ten. It doesn't. It, it and to Big Ten fans, and I'm sure no one's really listening to this. It doesn't matter what their win loss record is. It's just different. They care more. Period. And and like and yep. 
their livelihood was threatened. Their meaning was threatened. That's what this is. And it's just there's 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 one side coming from a certain direction and then and then a lot of other people in the Big Ten that are that are just living in a completely different reality. And that's where the disconnect is. It just it just yeah. means more. It just means more. And like Ohio State fans, they get that. Which is why Ohio State fans really haven't been all over Nebraska that much. Because it just means more. So yeah, I just kind of wanted to, to bring that up because that that was very predictable that the Big Ten would have some issues. Games would, be, would get canceled. If there's anybody out there that thought that their testing protocols, you know, their daily testing, I believe they're doing in this 21-day thing was going to somehow prevent college kids from getting COVID-19, then I can't help you. Um, but I guess maybe you... Maybe you didn't think that. Maybe you just thought, oh, well, that's part of the deal. Sorry. I mean, they're going mean, to get but games like, canceled. Big Ten fan base is actually getting upset that they wanted to go out and play an FCS team. Like being, that is so bizarre to me. I know. And, I and know. That, that, that just kind of feeds my theory that it's like, like I said, tribalism like that only happens in one arena. And like, I, it's pretty clear to me. Like I just, well, there's a lot you of go and read, you read Pat Forty's garbage yeah. takes on all that stuff and you go and talk like talking about how like Nebraska like the Big Ten wants unity and Nebraska just doesn't just doesn't understand just doesn't get it. No, the Big Ten doesn't understand. That's what's going on right now. Yeah, and, and also it was it's again super super weak tea. The Nebraska AD complaining about their schedule when it when it first came out that was super lame. Yeah, I agree, and you know that's a classic example of two things can be true at once. Uh, that is super weak by the Nebraska AD, but also a lot of the things Nebraska has done and been standing for this entire time has been, in our opinions, the right thing because they want to play football. So, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> so, I have you know, I I have some I have, I have some friends who are are graduated from Minnesota just like I do, and they 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 find Nebraska fans and their fan base completely insufferable, and uh, they they say it's because they're not any good and they just won't shut their mouth, and I I just. I don't get the take. Nebraska cares more about football than you guys do. That's why they won't shut their mouth. Right. They care more. Yeah, I mean, if again, like, uh, imagine where the Oklahoma fan base would have been if the Big 12 didn't move forward. I, I would hope there'd be players on that team that would have spoken up. And granted, there were, like when Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, that one night when everyone was coming out. I know Spencer Rattler said stuff. I think Creed Humphrey did. So like, there, so oh, you guys did kind of come out. But it, it was never really at, uh, we'll see. It, it, it was, yeah, I, I guess at that point, it was all kind of like in the balance, I guess I got to say, to give them credit. But uh, let's say, though, that what happened to the, the Big Ten happened to the Big 12. I, I mean, I would, I would have hoped if that scenario came up, that Lincoln Riley would have been like Scott Frost, Grant, and would have been like Ryan Day and would have been out publicly saying, our guys want to play. I want to play. I, I mean, it's a hypothetical. We'll never know. Um, so uh, I, I bring this up, though, just to defend Nebraska because they want to play and their fan base wants to play, and it just means a lot, like you said. So I, fortunately, as Oklahoma fans, we were never put in that position in 2020. Um, just, but, yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough for us to understand how, yeah, like, uh, like what's, what is wrong with these guys speaking up and saying, yeah, we want to play football. I, I don't. And again, to go back to what I said a little bit ago, I of the, um, of the mind that if Nebraska would not have been as vigilant, I don't know if the big 10 is able to, to make its 
make its waves. And I guess I want to like, I, let me clarify what I mean. I'm not like, I, I don't want to say people in the Big Ten hate Nebraska because they're Republicans. That's not what I am saying at all. I am saying that it is undeniable to anyone who has followed the news over the last seven months. Coronavirus and COVID is political. It is. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, and I guess I, I wasn't even thinking that's what you were, really were saying, but I suppose uh, it's because I, I kind of know where you are, so maybe I, I wasn't connecting the dots. But yeah, you're, I, I don't think you're saying that. I, I think the main point is that you're, it's, it really comes down to just it means more, and you've already said that, because what's the old trope about the SEC? I mean, it just means more, and, and as the longer I follow college football, and the, the more I kind of get that. For a while, I kind of was like, ah, come on. But it, it is true. It, the more I've seen college football, it, it does mean a lot to the SEC schools in that region. It just yeah. does. I, I want I, I to bring this up. It. I want to bring this up just because, you know, I have, um, like I said, I, 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 I have friends who, you know, who graduated from the U who I'm really close with. and um, University I, of Minnesota. I, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, the University of Minnesota. And you know, I, I got some who are hardcore college football fans, and I, and I got some who are just more of like, you know, when the Gophers are good, then yeah, great. Big fan. Um, while we were watching uh, the Gophers just get absolutely smoked by Michigan a couple weeks ago, uh, one of my buddies said, you know, hey, the bright side of this is that if the Gophers are bad this season, I'm going to get a whole lot more time back uh, on my Saturdays. And like, you know, I, I get it and I kind of laughed and it was funny, but the more that I think about it, that, I, that attitude is completely foreign to me. There is, there's no world where I would not be in front of my TV watching college football on a Saturday. There just isn't. No matter right, no matter right. how good or bad OU is. And that and like that's that's sort of that's the disconnect right there. I I, I definitely represent kind of the Nebraska fan base, how yes. they feel about this stuff. Because I, I get it. Because college football is you know, and some people might find this silly or whatever. College football is part of my identity. It's part of who I am. If it if, if it was taken away from me, I don't know what I would do. And that's like I don't know that that that's where the Nebraska fan base is coming from. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And inevitably, the Pac-12 will have problems now that they're starting in early November. And I mean, you you said it earlier. Like it's going to be nice not having to worry about the whole playoff thing because I'm not going to sit here and pretend like oh, what if. Not enough games happen in the Pac-12, and then oh, what if the Big Ten weird stuff happens? Can Oklahoma still make the? Like, I'm not gonna entertain that stuff because one, no, I don't think Oklahoma can still make it, and two, I don't really want them to make <laughs> the playoff. I, I don't. They're they're still not good enough, I don't think, right now to not get probably embarrassed by one of these really elite, awesome teams. Although I will say so though, yeah. I'll totally say that if people are like actually entertaining the idea of putting like a six and O Pac twelve team in the playoff over like a nine and two OU that's killed everybody on the second on the back half of their schedule, that wouldn't be right. <laughs> but yeah, also you, I don't you, I don't really care enough a little to, bit. Yeah. Yeah. We'll cross that bridge if it gets there. All right. I enjoyed that. We've gone long now. Hopefully you all enjoyed this episode of West of Everest. I think that's it for today. Uh, do your best to enjoy OUKU. Uh, I will be there, Grant. I will be. I will be in Norman for the game. I'll be honest. Uh, wh- what? Let's see. What time? It's a, okay. It's a two thirty kick. I was like, thank goodness it's not a night a night kickoff. Thank goodness it's not a six o'clock kick or a seven o'clock kick. Uh, two thirty kick in uh, Norman. I'm going to be there. Second time this year, I'll have gone to an OU football game. Uh, and. <laughs> 
Uh, coincidentally, both times will, will just be essentially against like FCS schools. Uh, sorry, Kansas. Um, Are you going to go to Bedlam? Uh, unclear. Don't know yet. We uh, it's it's a week to week thing right now. We don't know. You have to apply for credentials on a week to week basis. So it's you can't do the, the full season. We don't know the schedules yet of our guys. So we'll see. Um, all right, so let, yeah, let's hope that the Jayhawks don't put up 40 points again in Oklahoma like they did two years ago in Norman. Let's hope Oklahoma can hold them to like maybe a touchdown at the most. That'd be great. At, at, at the worst, a touchdown and a field goal, maybe 10 points. So anyways, we'll be back to discuss next week. Until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.